Happy midnight and welcome to the show. It's been a while and we are so stoked to get back on the horse and talk about games again. I'm Johnny and I am joined as always by best buds Keaton. Whoa. Holy shit, I'm first this time. Get fucked up. Uh, hello, how's it going? Good, dude. And Colin. I quit. This is fucking bullshit. This That's is not it, dude. Season two is a new beast. Fuck. Uh, uh, happy to be here. Happy to be talking about games again with the fellas. Yeah, it's it's genuinely so exciting. Um, so, gentlemen, why don't we kick this thing off? And just in recent news, um, we haven't gotten the opportunity to truly unpack the Nintendo Direct that just happened. So for, you know, people that might be listening to this, you know, at a time where this Nintendo Direct is no longer relevant, there was just a Nintendo Direct. Um, and they showed off some interesting things, some stinkers, um, a whole bunch of stuff. So why it's don't we just kind of go... It, it was it was 40 minutes long, I think, in its entire duration. I think it was about 40 minutes long, which is I pretty fucking all, chonky. They're all about 40 minutes, right? That's kind of their standard? I'm kind of used to them... Maybe I'm thinking of Nintendo like indie showcases or something like that, but I'm used to them being closer to like the 20, 23-minute mark or something like that. 40 to me, mm. I had to sit down and like, you know, <laughs> I had to be in a place for 40 minutes. You maybe know, you're that's, just that's, usually bored the whole time. Yeah, you're not wrong. So in the, in the spirit of that, let's unpack it a little bit. What was your guys' favorite announcements? Colin, why don't you go first, bro? So I actually did not watch the Direct. I listened to podcasts about it, which is what people should do. It's better. Um, when I found out they were remaking Front Mission 1, my mind exploded. And then it turns out they're doing both of them, which is yeah. bizarre. It's a series people like but it's not one that gets talked about it hasn't had a new entry since like 2006 i want to say interesting um, so and they're they're hard to get um the second one never came out in america uh, it's a ps2 game there's fan translations but never came out in america so that'll be a whole fresh thing and then the, have you played that one too no i have a fan cool. translation ready to go but i have not gone through it and now i'll just cool. wait um and then the first one there was a uh, nintendo ds remake that came out which I mm. found unplayable. So so I'm very excited. I am worried because they're going to rebalance it, right? So the, the mm. game still has to be good. I'm just glad that they're they're trying and, and hoping for the best. Yeah, and like, I mean, obviously when I saw the Front Mission announcement, I thought of you immediately, but like besides the scope of Colin, is there actually like a fan base surrounding this thing? Like where did this fucking decision come from to do the Front it's, Mission thing again? It's a Square Enix RPG. There is always a, a fan base for any Square or, uh, Square Enix RPG series, and it's sure. a tactics in the vein of Fire Emblem, Final Fantasy Tactics. So mm. yes, but I mean, like, largely no, though, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, kind of like as you were saying, like, I don't hear people really talking about this game very much, you know, inside of, like, pretty niche circles and not with regularity. Um, so I thought that's just kind of odd, but I was I was cheersing for you, bro. That's pretty god dang exciting. Is there a date on that thing? Uh, it's July for the the first one, and then the second one is announced generally later. Cool. Um, so that that was your highlight. Anything else tickle your nuts pretty extravagantly? There's a lot here, man. Um, so the other one, I, they're redoing Klonoa one and two, which again is fucking bizarre. You again, yeah. This, after they did the ActRaiser remake, they're doing these directs, and they're just staring me straight in the eye as as they do the direct. <laughs> these games are just for me. Um, yep. But those games cost eight hundred dollars if you wanted to buy them. So it'll it'll be great to, to be able to get them on a modern platform. It's a little much, a little much. Um, and then the only other thing, real quick, we don't have to talk about it is the Earthbound Beginnings. Oh I, yeah, that was that was really really cool. I wanted to to mess around with that. I heard it's not actually a great game, 
but I, I played Mother 3 recently, and I just want to get the, the whole series out of the way. Yeah. I just cannot believe that they're not doing Mother 3. Like, they said Earthbound, and then Earthbound Beginnings. I was just like, oh, man, come on. Is this going to be it? Are they finally okay. going to do it? So, and then they didn't. It, yeah, what are your thoughts? Uh, with, with no political context here, there are trans characters in Mother 3, and I believe that is 100% why they're not bringing it over. Mm, uh, they, I they did are, not are, know that. They are played as pure comedy and to be laughed at. Yeah. And yeah. I, uh, I think that Nintendo wants no no part of that. If they real didn't already. Stuff. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Well, like, I wonder if that actually puts a target on that game's back forever. Because honestly, I've never heard that point brought up again, but I think that's actually a really salient point. Like, maybe Mother 3 actually just doesn't have a place in 2022. You know, I mean, there are fan translations that you can find in the rest of it. So, like, if you're really, yeah. you know, hunkering to play it, you can yeah. play it. Um, but I, interesting. I, I didn't know that context. I feel like that has to be it because they brought Earthbound Beginnings over, right? Right. So that, that means they're right. interested in the series. And why wouldn't they do the, the latest entry, you know, technically? That the, fans are clamoring for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I... I you can fix that. I, I I wonder if just like a relocalization or a rewrite could fix that or if it's just ingrained into it, the story. Right. Like, yeah, I, I I guess it depends on how aggressive the tone is or whatever, or like how pivotal it is um, to the right. comedic punchlines or whatever like that. And how um, how how important it is for the story, you know, if it it's is, just a few one off lines, but it is unbelievably core to the story. It oh, is a that's, large. That's insane. Oh, no. yes. <laughs> that's insane, yeah. dude. I'm like, I don't want to do this without spoiling stuff, but there is a there's a a, a race of characters. They're called mm -hmm. the Majipsies, and they are like your spiritual guides through the game, and they are six mm -hmm. trans characters. Sure, sure. And uh, well, fascinating. They give you wow. a, a, an item that works as like a Zelda fairy, and mm. it's a lipstick and a razor. <laughs> Oh my god, are you kidding? <laughs> and you get six of them, oh, and you can Jesus. use them as fairies on your characters. Yeah. It's, oh my um, god, dude. I, wow. I, I, I couldn't fucking believe it as I played through the game. I was just that, like, what? That is astounding, dude. What's happening? Oh my god. Um, okay, well, honestly, that makes a fuck ton more sense now. Yeah, um, I guess I'll just never bring it up again, honestly, because it makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> Um, but I mean, you know, I am excited to have Earthbound readily accessible to me. I can pick up my Switch and just play that in bed now. I've been dying yeah. to play an Earthbound remake conveniently for like literally the past decade. So I mean, this is this is this is pretty freaking cool. Um, yeah. Just to be uh, clear, the, though, this is not a remake, right? This is just the Super Nintendo version on the. It's just. Uh, it's it's just the, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, how about you, Keith? What what lit you up about this, if anything, in the Nintendo Direct? Not a whole lot. Um, Chrono Ooh. Cross being remastered and coming Ooh. to the Switch is cool. Um, been meaning to play that for a while. I played Chrono Same. Trigger once, like 10, about 10, 12 years ago, like mm. 20, around 2010. Um, mm. So pretty late to the party. Um, I would love to replay it and, and play uh, Chrono Cross again. Um, Colin, yeah, you dude. talk about that game quite a lot too. Um, I'm excited I've, for it only heard like kind of middling or kind of mixed things about it. Um, but you talked about it much more positively than I've heard elsewhere. Uh, so I'm very interested to see what it's all about. It's another of the classic, uh, PlayStation one square games. Um, mm. and this is something I've been working on as a, as a thesis. 
no RPGs have a good story, really. There are just like yeah. slightly more passable ones, or I think the best you can hope for is fun ones. Like Chrono Trigger is a fun yeah. time travel story. Yeah. Chrono Cross tries to go way too hard in, in mm. philosophy and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but the craziest part about this is that it's the Radical Dreamers edition. Uh, Radical Dreamers is, uh, I want to say visual novel, but I don't know if there's any visuals actually. It might just be a text only game that mm -hmm. was released uh, in Japan through the Super Nintendo Satellaview add on. Yeah, the Satellaview. So it's so cool that they're releasing a Satellaview game. Gives me hope for the, uh, the Zelda one. They just do the coolest shit sometimes, and I'm so happy with like what they're doing with Act Razor and Front Mission, and yeah. they're on a really good trajectory for for paying respect to their their older library. You know, I mean, this is mm -hmm. a, a Square mm -hmm. Enix game, but Nintendo partnership is allowing it to happen. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, I'm similarly excited to play Chrono Cross for the first time. Um, it seemed like it has the vibes, dude. Banger I mean, soundtrack. Even in it's a uh, Yasuo yeah. Mitsuda. He's incredible. Heck yeah. Um, any of you guys excited for Triangle Strategy? We were talking to a friend yesterday about this who was pretty freaking hyped about that. Boy, I I think so. Um, I'm not the biggest Final Fantasy Tactics fan, and mm. I love Bravely Default, but I haven't played Octopath Traveler. I'm kind of lukewarm mm. on that studio. Um, but, but we'll see. I, uh, there's so much coming up, I don't know if I'll get to it, but uh, down the line I could definitely see myself playing it. Yeah, one, one thing about that studio that does surprise me um, is the amount of polish that goes into those games. Um, they're like, they're going for a thing, which I like. I, at least I, I applaud them for trying a thing and like committing to the thing. Because I mean, man, it's 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 kind of an alienating just gameplay loop nowadays. To and then to go so hard and to try something new visually with it and commit yourself wholly to that and then slap a sixty dollar price tag on it. That's like. Man, the balls on those developers for like doing that and committing themselves to it. I at least applaud them for that. Um, I think it'll be a long I, enough game. It'll probably be 40 hmm. plus hours, I think. And that that art style, I think they refer to it as HD 2D. And, yeah, that's, I, I think yeah. that is the language they're using now, yeah. And I think it looks good. Some are, some are better than others, but it's, it's catching on. Um, I think last year they announced that they're remaking the first or first one through three Dragon Quest games. And it mm. looks like yeah. octopath traveler like it's like they, they are doing that style so it's interesting to see how that trend keeps going uh they did it with a uh, live alive as well that they're bringing over or whatever Ooh, um, announced. yeah <laughs> yeah how no one yes knows. no one a knows. very awkward title um i don't know if there's much more that i want to cover in the nintendo direct i mean it, it ended with the kicker of xenoblade chronicles 3 which i don't think any of us give a shit about um, i played a pretty uh, weird one last thing xeno gears that's the only one i've played in the xeno series i do not care mm. i don't think yeah. it's that weird of a thing to end on i mean there is a huge fan base for that for sure um, and it's nintendo exclusive yeah that too uh it's just completely outside the venn diagram of us and most of our friends um i don't think i know anybody who really cares about those games but they seem no. extremely popular yeah yeah i think we just always where man i'm not going to speak for anyone else but at least i romanticize the one last thing to be like a bomb drop you know you're, you're always mm. expecting to see zelda or you're that's always what expecting E3's to see supposed Metroid to be. Prime 4. God, that's what E3's supposed to be, man. yeah yeah like blow my fucking mind with your one last thing that's why i've been sticking around for 40 minutes as you're given me all this garbage um yeah so the last thing i want to say is that w with all the cool and and new stuff they're bringing there's they're still gonna nintendo they're bringing over the wii version of star wars the force unleashed 
and oh yeah <laughs> there's a new wii sports game yep. called, wii called sports switch game. sports yep. or something yep <laughs> keep yep. doing you nintendo keep doing you yep. yeah keep doing you we yep. also have a bunch um, of a uh, new mario kart <laughs> new uh remade mario kart stages which you can yep. pay a whole lot of money for that that's bonkers that's a wii u game <laughs> I know, I know, and it's like, it's like twenty six bucks for that DLC, and I'm assuming pe- most people, unless you can buy the 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 uh, maps themselves individually, you're just giving Nintendo twenty six bucks and saying, "Hey, this is your twenty six bucks now." Over the next two years, as you decide to dole out these, you know, remade maps, it's just it's it's yeah, that, that, that's like pre-ordering that's creepy capitalist DLC. Nintendo this week, and then yeah, yeah, it's weird. Um. I guess I will end by saying I'm oddly sold on Kirby. I'm oddly sold on that weird freaking. <laughs> I am Forgotten very World surprised game. by how sold you are on that. How instantly you were sold the last <laughs> Nintendo Direct when they showed it because I was just like, uh, uh, a new Kirby game. I don't know. I don't know if I give a shit. I really don't. What is it that's lighting you up so much with that, Johnny? It's the vibes. I think it has the vibes. I genuinely think it has the vibes. There was a shot of like Kirby walking through this beautiful neon lit like amusement park in the most recent trailer. I'm just like, dude, we're actually going to take Kirby to cool locations. And like as, as you know, basic of a, a character as Kirby is, he inhales things and he flies. That's it. That's what he does. Um, putting him in interesting locations to me is actually like that's simple enough of a concept that it's easy to get your head around. But then you can do creative things with that because it's so simple. You know, the decorations around that can be interesting. So we'll see. We'll see if they jump the shark. Um, he's become vending machines and shit like that. Who knows? Um, but <laughs> yeah, honestly, but I the, mean, for Kirby, that's not even close to jumping the shark. <laughs> you're, close. you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But I think I think Kirby might have the vibes. So yeah. we'll see. If I, if I need a break from Elden Ring a month into the into the process, maybe I'll pick up Kirby. Um, so that's the Nintendo Direct. Um, let's talk about games, boys. Video games. Um, Keaton, you're bringing uh, an interesting game to the table this week. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Moonlighter, bro? Yeah, I recently played Moonlighter. Um, it's It had been on my radar for a couple of years. I think it came out in 2018, and I heard about it like soon after. It's one, one of those games that, you know, is kind of on the back burner, in the back of my mind. You know, get to it when I get to it. Um, mm. And I think it went on sale on, on the Switch eShop at some point so i just grabbed it and finally picked it up um do you guys know much about this game yeah peek behind the curtain instead of surprising the the guests with games this week we decided we were going to talk about it ahead of time so keaton told me he's going to play moonlighter and then i beat moonlighter let's go boys <laughs> no way. I figured Holy you were going to do that, Colin. I did. I assumed you were going to go in, dude. Wow. Um, that's well, that's awesome. Wild. Well, then we actually have a pretty interesting panel to dissect this game because, insofar as my experience is concerned, I'm very familiar with the game. Um, I watched about, you know, in preparation for this, maybe 30 or 40 minutes of gameplay that existed within maybe the first three or four hours of the game. Um, mm. Because, in case I ever, in case the both of you sold me on this video game and I decided to go play it thereafter, I didn't want to spoil myself too aggressively on what happens late game if there mm. are things to be spoiled. So mm. I was being a little bit cautious and conservative in that way. Um, but in terms of vibes, and I think I have a, a, a small grasp on the mechanics of the game and stuff like that. Um, but uh, Keaton, why don't you go in a little bit? Tell us, tell us what this game's about. Yeah, so the basic premise is that um, it kind of flips the script a bit and you play like the RPG um, game uh, shop shop owner where you're, you know, 
selling shit to the heroes and whatnot. Um, it doesn't go 100% on that premise, though, um, because you are also going into dungeons at night. And then during the day, you're you're running the shop and selling all the little treasures and bits and bobs that you find in the dungeon. Um, so the dungeon aspect is, you know, like your, your kind of roguelike uh, dungeon crawler. Um, uh, Top-down perspective, you've got a couple different weapon types. Uh, you got a sword and shield. You got a, a big sword, a spear, um, gloves that are like these molly things with like spikes on them, and then you have a bow and arrow. Um, and yeah, the the, the shop owning um, aspect is is cool. I mean, it's obviously the most original part about the game, so it kind of draws you in. Yeah. Um, and pretty cool i mean it was a great like saturday morning kind of game to just like sit down with a cup of coffee and have a nice chill time with um it's all about the vibes uh i played a little of the uh the town theme for you guys before we got started here um Mm -hmm. and i i fucking love the vibes in this game they're immaculate the uh the music the uh the characters are all just pretty full of life and um funny you mentioned that key because i i made this a podcast game so when you're playing the music for us i was like oh yeah i think i vaguely remember that theme i i barely listened to the music at all and i just had podcasts as i played the game so yeah it's funny that you mentioned that um colin anything that you want to fill in the gaps there because I, I i do have some questions that i want to pose but like if you want to you know maybe at make any addendum sure. to that i love giving just like the elevator pitch for this game it's a it's a roguelike Binding of Isaac dungeon crawler where you're the shopkeeper. It's just such a a unique idea. It Um, is. There's more to get into here about how the specific systems work. Mm. I I think it's a really good game. It's just, it's super satisfying. And the loop, it's all about the loop. Um, Mm. It's so, so short. And that's why, like Keaton said, Saturday morning or just pick up and play. You do the dungeon. The dungeon runs can be from anywhere from like literally two minutes to like 15 at the most, it seems like. Mm. Yeah. Um, And then you always have enough stuff to sell at the shop. I have a lot of gripes with the game. Mm, I the, do too. Yeah. The, the the shop system becomes incredibly boring after the first half of the game. And there's there's nothing really to it. They try to set you up with this system where the customers react to your pricing. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to use that to dial in. Am I charging too much? Um, and then I'll, I'll throw this back to Keaton. There also was like a... If you were supposed to be like, if you're selling it too much, it would get like not as popular. And then there was neutral popularity. Popularity would go down. Yeah. I never saw that. Or, or maybe I just didn't know how to interact with the system, but I never had to like interface with that portion of the, the, the shopkeeping yeah. at all. No, you're, you're right. I had a similar experience. Um, so yeah, like there are four different dungeons and they are, they do go in order. So each time you get to a dungeon, you have a whole new set of items that you're collecting and selling now uh like a a whole new tier basically it is a very tiered system from one dungeon to the next unbelievably tiered yeah i and i'll get into that a little more in a second but um basically once you get some new items that that you can sell you have no idea what to sell them for um you do have like a ledger a book uh keeping track of all your items and it puts them in order of a price but it doesn't tell you what the price is so you have to just put something on the shelf and set a price for it and then watch how people react and they Mm. might love the price which means it's too low 
They might be happy with it, which means it's just right. They might begrudgingly buy it, which means it's a little too high, but they'll, they'll still buy it. And that's what makes the popularity go down, supposedly. Oh, okay. And then there's yeah, supposedly. where they, yeah. And then there's where they hate the price and they just won't even buy it. Um, Do customers have a universal agreement on whether or not it's too high or too low? Or is yeah. it like per customer? It's so like, we can yeah, assume there that there is baked like within a correct the, price. Yep. So like, yeah, so like, price. like baked within the game system itself is a correct price for every single item, but you're just right. kind of like p- pissing into the wind trying to put an arbitrary monetary value to each of these items when mm-hmm. the game knows the game knows the right price but mm-hmm. like it's it's kind of like tidying it up as a gameplay mechanic to hide that price from you and have you guess yeah do you have anything to make this guess off of or are you just being like it's a like how are you choosing a price who knows what that the system looks like economically because like in that book that you have it does put everything in order and then there's also a few cutoff points where it says, you know, like 1,000 gold right here, which means anything above that sells for more than 1,000 gold. Anything below that okay. is less than 1,000. So you ha- you can dial it in by like, okay, it's between like the 100 and the 1,000. It's somewhere in there. But like the uh, a good price can uh, be distinct from like a bad price by like 50 gold. So, mm. you know, you have to figure out what what is it between 100 and 1,000. Is it 600? Is it 700? You know, mm. 750? Um, so you have to find that and you'll have other items in there, um, that you've already sold and have found the right price on. Now you have this other one. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just finding the, the, the sweet spot, um, which based I would argue on those other reference points. I would mm. argue that that's just not like a super fun mechanic, a, 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 a pure guess and check. And then it's really the, not the other half of that is once you get the price where they're happy with it, the game auto sets the price for you. So it's like yeah. a, a one-time work. Oh, it, so sets, once, once, it automatically get that sets price, it to the last thing you put up, put it at. Yeah. Yep. And then when you're selling the next mm. time, you just add everything to the shop, and then it sells. Yeah. Throw the whole uh, stack on there. Sell it all for the for the correct price. Correct price. And you know you're you're done thinking about that item forever now, basically. Like because the price does not mm. fluctuate. The popularity of it will not change as long as you're selling it for the right price. So there's like huh. very little interactivity there with that system. Is there, so like, I mean, obviously it kind of feels like the shtick of this game is that it is bifurcated between the, uh, obviously running a shop and then running the dungeons and the rest of it. Mm. Is that actually the extent of the shopping element of this game? Like price setting and the rest of it? Or is is it deeper (laughs) than that? It's, I mean, there's a few things to do as the shop owner. I mean, you have to restock the shelves because once uh someone takes an item it does leave an empty spot they take the entire stack it seems like these people just have unlimited gold unlimited gold. if they, if they <laughs> like something they'll just buy it um and there's no reason really to sell any i guess maybe you could sell something for a very good price make it more popular and then maybe charge more for it i never really experimented with it's that it's not necessary mm-hmm. yeah like i, I that, that's probably how it works but that the game never enc- encourages you or, or needs that level of, of detail in, in the yeah. selling mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the interactivity as you're running the shop is like restocking shelves. If you have things that you don't know the price on, then you're trying to figure that out by putting out like one at a time, watching how people react, changing the price. So you are moving around the shop to do these things. Um, you might also get robbed. <laughs> You'll see someone come in. Um, that's fun. And be like kind of sneaky, like walking around the shop and then grab something and run out. And you have to go over it's, and tackle them. 
Yeah, it's um, not that, one that, because they mark them as a thief. It's not like a, a mystery. Yeah, yeah. It walks in and says, I'm the <laughs> no, thief. No. Yeah. And then you have to wait for him to grab something and then you run over and a dodge roll into him. So yeah. it's not it, fun at all. It, it sounds like a fun idea, but it sounds like poor as shit execution. Yeah, I, I think, that, I think you're right. It should be like trying to catch a thief him. in real life. Exactly. Like, like a thieves are trying to thief. hide the idea that they're a thief. You know, yeah. that's the point of being a thief. Mm -hmm. yep, um, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and if they get well, out like, the door, then they're gone. You, you're not chasing anyone. Oh out of the my shop. god! So I mean, like, so this is honestly a bit of a shame to hear because, like, when I heard the elevator pitch about this game, and when I was reading blurbs about it, this in some ways feels like a dream thesis to me for a video game. Mm -hmm. Um, but like. There's so much that you could do with that shopping side of the gameplay loop. Um, I think in terms of, like, maybe even socially, like, having a relationship with customers and, like, knowing what they want. Because, like, yeah. in theory, it, it should take place, like, within the same village, right? So, mm. like, the people that are coming to you, like, actually, the, there's really great, in my head, narrative potential to have, like, people coming back and then, like, you learn that they need particular types of things based off of their life and who they are. So, like, they show up looking for a particular type of thing because they, as a person, have particular needs given their life. And, like, mm -hmm. slowly getting to know your customer base and the people who, like, you're serving. Right. That seems like such fertile ground for, like, making that beyond just a gameplay mechanic. It it feels like doing something like that would make that special, yeah. you know? But the fact that it's just kind of like this tepid, you know, arbitrary price setty thing and tackle thievey thing, it just sounds kind of shallow. I don't know. It is, yeah. You, you see the same couple uh, townsfolk come in, and they're just looking for for whatever. Occasionally, you'll see um, like an adventurer all all geared mm. up, and they have that little bubble, the same bubble that will show you like the little cat eye thing for a burglar. Um, yeah, mm. there there might be like a sword and shield, um, which means they're looking for a weapon. So you're like, oh, that guy, he needs a weapon. Well, obviously, it's a they're dressed as an adventurer, but they give you the extra hint just in case you missed it. Sure, um, sure. So you can run to the back, go go into your chest, and be like, "Oh, I have the sword that I don't need. I'll put that out. Mm. They'll buy that." Uh, and those sell for for good money. But sure. other than that, yeah, there's not like getting to know like, "Oh, this lady like needs needs this thing." It's it's you've seen that same lady four times today. You know, yeah, right. like they're they're different people, but they're you know just looking for random shit and. As yeah. soon as they see something for a price that's good, they pick it up and they buy it. Yeah, I, I would say there's no social aspect at all to this game. You have a relationship, you have like a, a mentor named Xenon who kind of guides mm -hmm. you through the game. Mm. But it's not even an interactive thing. He just gives you some some lines of dialogue in between the dungeons. Um, it's got a few story beats, yeah. Yeah, so as Keaton said with the tiered system, and this is something I like actually, there's... As you go in the dungeon, besides making profit from the items you get, you also want to use that to upgrade your equipment. That's the other pillar of, mm. of outside the dungeon. Um, yeah. There are four dungeons. There are four upgrade tiers. And mm. the items for those upgrades are in specifically the, the, the dungeon that it relates to. So if you're going for the second tier of upgrades, it's in the second dungeon, which oh, I, okay. I really yeah. appreciate it, which means you didn't need to go back yeah. and forth or wonder where stuff is. That's clean. Yeah, that's really clean. Gotcha. It is clean, I, and basically, yeah, every time you, like, beat one dungeon, move on to the next, the whole thing is to just upgrade everything um, yeah. to the next tier so that you can make it into the boss fight and, mm. and beat that, and then the whole thing starts over. Um, mm. But unfortunately, it's about, it's only that deep. Like, 
you, you don't earn any new skills, learn any anything really. It's just kind of polishing your game a little bit with like the the very few tools that you have. And it's just a numbers game. You know, you, you get a new set of items, they sell for like eight times more than the last tier of items. And because every, the cost of everything goes up like eight times to, to get the upgrade and stuff. So yeah, like- it, it doesn't matter, right? Like none of it matters. Yeah, it doesn't it, matter. It, it all feels exactly increase. the same. Yeah. Yeah. The numbers get bigger, but everything feels exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the game is too long. I I think that was part of my issue with the game. Like by the time I hit the fourth dungeon, I'm like, oh, I'm just doing this again. And and to be honest, I was so tired of the 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 shop system. I I Googled the correct price for all the the fourth dungeon items. Because I was just like, I just don't care. Like it's fine. I don't even care. Um so we talked a lot about the the shop aspects. Keaton, do you want to get in the actual gameplay portion of this, the the dungeon crawling? Sure. The uh, the last thing I I want to say about the shop aspect though is that um once you reach uh, the end game and there is like post end game stuff, I think it was later added as DLC. Um hmm. but it just comes with the standard version at this point at least for Switch. Um you can hire another a person to run your shop for you. And then you just don't have to interact mm. with that system at all, which is just hilarious. So you give hilarious. them a 30% cut. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, you might even be able to do it before then. I, I don't remember. I think you actually just have to upgrade your shop a certain amount. Because mm. there's the, like it's a the light third shop upgrade, yeah. Town building aspect of it too. Um, yeah, the, 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 the town thing is kind of cool. I mean, like there are townsfolk out in the town that you can go and talk to and they have like three lines of dialogue um but then you leave them you go to talk to another person and they have the exact same three lines of dialogue mm. that happened quite a bit yeah um yeah nothing there video yes. games so Am again, I right? the, the, <laughs> the vibes are so good but like you get things like that to take you out of the yeah. experience but yeah let's let's talk more about the dungeons um <sighs> What was your weapon of choice? This I, is important. I used, okay. Uh, so they start you off with the sword and shield, which is one weapon. Um, and then there's a great sword, there's a spear, there's a uh, the claw thing. There's um, a bow. And there's a bow. I got a bow early on, so that was my secondary. You can switch weapons on the fly. So yep. it was nice to have a ranged weapon. I used the sword and shield throughout the entire game because I didn't find any of the other three until like the fourth dungeon. I don't know if they I wanted, just got totally fucked by the RNG, but I didn't find any of that until the They like, wanted very you end. to you can craft the training version of of any of the items and work your right. way up. It wasn't That's clear. Right. No, I, I totally get that. Um and there, there's like not enough. It kind of acts like it wants you to try all the weapons, but there's not enough resources where it like is viable. Um mm. So I got the spear, and I think the spear is the best weapon by far. The The reach mm-hmm. just makes the game incredibly easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once I set on the spear, and I was on, like, say, my tier 2 or 3 spear, that means I would have to start going back to other dungeons, collecting resources just to try the sword and shield if I wanted yeah. to. Yeah. yeah. So once I was that far with the spear, I was like, oh, this is it then. You know, this is what the game is. <laughs> Unless you want to grind in, you know, previous dungeons, which sounds tedious as fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. How how does it feel? How like how like the actual control of the character? How does it feel? Does it feel cozy? Yeah. Uh, Colin's making the eh, hand motion. It's all right. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's 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 all right. 
Um, mm. You have the dodge roll. Um, with the sword I, and shield, basically the entire thing is get in, get a hit or two, and 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 roll out, and that's kind of the entire mm. thing. And character's not super fast. He doesn't move around super fast, so you have to be like a little bit deliberate with your your timing and your positioning. Sure. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 okay. It's just okay. Is it hard? No. So okay, I'm gonna go on a little bit of a of a thing here. So <laughs> let's go. I think the game. When I first started playing the game, it was incredibly hard. Keaton, do you know those one the the ghost knights that hold their their sword up and do one big down slash at you? It's in the the first dungeon. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those were incredibly hard. I found it hard to to hit them in and dodge out, which is why I chose the spear. Mm. You can outrange them. They'll never hit you. You just poke <laughs> them, they go back. They'll never hit you. Yeah, it sounds like the spear kind of breaks the game, honestly. At least the so, way I was playing it. I think the game is 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 hard, but they give you the tools to make it trivial. So I was playing mm. the game in the first dungeon. I was figuring things out. I was getting to the second floor, third floor. The boss is at the end of the third floor. But then you, you start looking through the shops you have available in town. So there's a, a shop called The Retailer in which you can buy the items you need to upgrade, which makes mm. finding shit trivial. So you need mm. three of those things to upgrade your spear. You buy three of those things. There's a potion seller that you can just buy the, the fancy health potions and take unlimited potions with you. There is no potion mm. limit. You can also buy one that shows you the map. So as you're going through the dungeon, it's very binding of Isaac. You're trying to find the boss of the floor to move up to the next level. Mm. So you just do that and it shows you where the boss is. So I would interface with each dungeon until I got the shits of it and I got all the upgrades I wanted. You buy three map potions and then you buy the items you need to upgrade your, your sword all the way. And then you go in the dungeon, you pop the potion, and it shows you where it is. And oh, man. I never fought a boss. I just stood there and tanked it and, and popped health potions. This could potentially reflect poorly on me for not interfacing with the game properly. <laughs> but I wasn't necessarily power gaming it. You know, right. I, just, I just took... Most of the time, I didn't even get through one stack of potions. Were given. Yeah. And I, I just sat there, and I just poked him with my spear... Because the third hit's a critical. You want to get the third hit every time for the critical hit. Yeah. Sure. And it just became absurdly trivial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I did not um, interface with, with those um, systems nearly as much. Um, you mentioned you can hold unlimited potions. That is true. You do have to sacrifice some space in your bag for that. Um, and you can only yeah. have five potions equipped at one time. And you can't go into your bag during a fight. So the most you could have oh, is that with true? You for the boss fight is five potions. That yeah, uh, you could be holding more huh. in your bag, but right. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was just real time, and I would like possibly get hit while I was switching potions. But I, I think you are right. Yeah, so that shows that I never needed your bag. more than five potions to tank through it, though. <laughs> true. Yeah, un true. unless you use some on on the way to the boss. I definitely did. Yeah, definitely. Um, are the dungeons? So I mean, like roguelite is obviously thrown around are they procedurally generated like binding of isaac yes mm -hmm. yeah it's, they have some interesting um variety in the actual rooms too it's a basic you know grid based um like binding of isaac or zelda uh you know with mm -hmm. doors possibly in north south east, east and west walls um mm. and then there's a lot of obstacles and and holes in the in the floor and stuff like that mm. um Oh, did you interface with the intentionally falling down the hole, Keaton? Did you catch on to that? A little bit. 
I did that a little bit. Um, I, that's one of the core parts of exploring the dungeon. So in the pits, occasionally you'll see like a little twinkle or sparkle, and that's supposed to let you know that you're supposed to jump down there. And mm -hmm. it can be one of three things. It'll either be like a challenge room where it's a special chest that spawns like a short wave of enemies on you and you get like a cool item for it. Mm. Uh, the other one is just like an extremely expensive item, like like the the item the dungeon's best item to sell. Um, and then the other one is the best one. It's a chest that allows you to send all of your currently equipped items automatically back to your, your home chest, which is huge. Mm. You only have 20 spots, which fills up real quickly. Sure. Um, so. I, I, that's one of my curses. other issues. Yeah, yeah. The, the curses, which means you can't properly stack items up to 10. So if you have cursed oh. items, you, you can only have literally 20 items instead of like 100 items yeah. with stacking. Mm. So you got that, and then that just made your dungeon run twice as good. Keaton, how did yeah. you how did you feel about the the twenty item limit? At first, I was blown away that that wasn't something you could upgrade. Um, you know, it made sense. I mean, you do have to make a call uh, in a dungeon. You know, when do you dip the fuck out? Because if you die, you lose most of what's in your bag. The top row you, you get to keep, uh, but everything else just gets lost. Um, and so yeah, you have to you have to be careful. And I did like the uh, the management aspect, especially with the curses. Um, so the curses on items, um, there are a couple different ones. There's one where it could be pointing in any of eight of eight directions, and whatever item it's pointing at, uh, it could have a few different effects. One of them is like when you return to town, the one it's pointing at will get destroyed. Um, but you can just put that at the edge of the bag, so that it's pointing at nothing. Um, you know, the edge of the little grid system in the submenu. Um, there's one that will, will change another item into the cursed item. Um, so if it's a really good item, a very, really expensive one, then you, you know, make it point at something really cheap that, you know, will then be transformed and, you know, you get 10 times as much money for that now. Um, and then, uh, there are some that can break curses. So, that could be kind of fun sometimes with, um, you know, okay, I have this item that I can't stack on this other item because of this curse, uh, but I have this other one that, that could break the curse and, you know, just trying to figure out how to use those and, and arrange things to get as much value in your bag as possible. Sure. Um, I love this part so fucking much. Oh my God, my OCD brain. It was so <laughs> soothing. The My favorite yeah. one was the curse breaker. So mm. you'd pick the curse breaker and you'd break the curse and then you could stack it up so your bag would be full. But if you hit a chest just right, you get that down to six open spots and oh, no better feeling. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, I guess like at the end of the day, is this, I, I mean, it sounded like when you guys started talking about this thing that like they were at least generally positive vibes. Yeah, and then um, we crush it, it for the next 20 minutes. That's what I'm saying. Like, well, I mean, this might be an example of something that is greater than the sum of its parts. I mean, as you begin to dissect yeah. it, you can, you know, get, you know, mildly petty about an infinite number of things. But, like, it at the end of the day, is Moonlighter worth playing? Keaton, you want to go first? So, this is a, a game that very heavily depends on what you're looking for and what you're expecting. Um, if you're expecting... Uh, a pretty intense dungeon crawling experience. Um, you know, it might not be for you, but like, I, I think leading off the elevator pitch with the running the shop part, um, is a very good call because that gives you an idea of 
you know, what it's actually like to, to live in this game. Um, yeah, it, it is a more casual experience. Um, I, you asked if this game is hard. I personally didn't find it very hard. Uh, sometimes I just had to realize that I was taking it a little too casually and, you know, just getting bopped by some enemies and thinking, okay, I need to just be a little more careful. But I was playing this pretty laid back, pretty casual, and I, not, I had fun with it. I did. Um, it's it's just vibes for days, you know? I would only play like an hour or two at a time. I couldn't play for hours and hours because the loop mm. does get a little bit stale. Yeah. Um, I mean, I give it a soft recommend as long as you know what you're going in for. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's awesome. I, mean, I, I I think it's a great game. And then part of part of the recommend for me is that it's always on sale on Switch. So it's like a fucking eight dollar mm. purchase. And mm-hmm. it just overstays its welcome. I, I think the the loop, even with all the issues we've talked about, just go in the dungeon, get shit, sell it, upgrade your stuff is extremely satisfying. It just simply mm. goes on for too long. It's like a fifteen hour game. And yeah. fifteen. Okay. Mm-hmm. And after two hours, nothing else happens. Some they, of the, the unlocks are interesting, but nothing else happens truly. Yeah, they really stop showing you anything new about two or three hours into the game. At that point, you know pretty much everything that the game has so like to the, offer. So, I mean, I guess generally, like, actually no narrative revelations, nothing interesting happening with characters or, you know, and uh, storytelling decide, or anything? They decide there's some story at the end and it's fucking At the stupid. very end. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Um, I I thought it was a kind of fun reveal at the end because like you have the four dungeons oh. and then there's the the fifth door. What, yes. What's up, Colin? No, I'm sorry. I, I thought the reveal overall was dumb, but there was one portion about. Uh, I can say this while I was spoiling it, but like the the true nature of the dungeons and what you were doing. I I thought that was a really good reveal. Mm. Yeah, because no one really knows. Like these dungeons just kind of like appeared what one day and. Um, there are such different dis- uh, disparate locations. Like one is a golem dungeon of all these, you know, these like automatons coming to life and, and trying to kill you. And then one is a forest. You're just like in the middle of this dense forest. And then another one is a desert. You're just in the middle of the fucking desert. And then there's the tech dungeon where it's, you know, all this weird high techy <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, fantasy tech, like electricity mm. and stuff like that. So, and then there's the mysterious fifth door um and every time you beat a dungeon one of the four locks falls off the fifth door and you know so everyone's talking about what's behind the fifth door what is it um finding out what that was um i thought was kind of fun it was like basically the only instance of any interesting story going on at all um that did you know i keep me kind of thinking about you know um about the game and and what what it might be um I don't know. It sounds like Colin hated it. I, I thought it was um, not going to say it too was, much about about it, of course. But. I'm being a bit hyperbolic, but it's just an example of them like like knowing what they were doing. They were trying to be too cute with it and try to make make a bigger story. There, there it didn't. There was nothing leading up to it. You know, there was no nothing to reward that payoff. They just decided this is what's going to happen. And and the story we're talking about is ten minutes, maybe total uh, mm-hmm. of your 15 hour game there's there's yeah the, the the premise of the story is as you said keaton the fifth door and ooh, what's behind the mysterious fifth door and then that's the first minute of the game and then at 14 hours and 50 minutes you get story for the last 10 minutes and that's the yeah. total story <laughs> in the game yeah yeah so i mean it it, it sounds it sounds like 
maybe the recommendation here would come from, you know, if you're looking for a good touch and go kind of game, Perfect. you know, this this, feel, this yeah. feels like a great thing to pick up, get in and just, you know, do a gameplay loop, maybe spend 30 minutes playing the thing, set it down. Maybe not a main game for you, but maybe, you know, right. if you're looking for something a little more, you know, just pick up and play. Yeah, this is a great so, counterpart to like something like a From Software game where you just need something to, to chill out a little bit and, and break the pace. Yeah, yeah, and, and maybe the last thing that I'll say about this is that obviously, I, I when I heard about this premise, I love this premise so so freaking much. And maybe the heart of why I love the premise of Moonlighter so much is that often, you know, when your hero goes on a journey in the game, it's very difficult to reach out and grab that as a player because it's so unrelatable. You know, mm -hmm. at this point in modern society, there's something so utterly pleasant about having, you know, somebody that's a little closer to home. And like, you know, any impediment to their hero's journey is that they have to work a job. There's something about <laughs> that that is really, really charming. And like, actually, like, I think it, it, it helps an audience connect to it because they actually see the impediments of, you know, just committing yourself fully to a hero's lifestyle. There's something about that that I, I quite, you know, I think that's really, really neat. And I applaud the developer. Shout out to the developer who is... Digital Sun. Digital Sun. Digital Sun. Shout out to Digital Sun for at least trying something new. And just and, like, yeah. hat, hats off for that, for sure. Makes, makes me really excited if they do a Moonlighter too. And yes, the, the the pitch and ideas is still brilliant. They just need to figure out how to properly get the 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 shopkeeping to work properly. And then, yep. as we discussed, I think you do add the social elements, a town, an actual story that you service throughout the game instead of just yes. at the end. Yeah, yeah. If they could yeah. flesh some of these Amen things out, it'd be great. Um, it is an interesting development story, though. This is like a side project for them. It's their very first original game um, that they developed themselves. Everything else. They were like an outsourcing company, so they were developing other people's games. Mm. Um, so this is a, a big passion project for them, um, and you can really see that come through. I think it's is that twenty yeah. seventeen. This came out. Is that correct? Twenty eighteen, I think. And Digital Sun still does not have a, a Wikipedia page. Wow, because Moonlighter is pretty popular. I mean, I you know yeah. it's, it's something that I think is maybe in the general consciousness of gamers. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, came out May twenty ninth, twenty eighteen. Cool. So yeah, shout out to those devs. Keep making cool things for sure. Keep iterating. You know, it, it sounds like at least a really, really valiant first effort for sure. Um, oh, keep yeah. on doing the thing. Um, Keaton, there was a uh, second game that you just wanted to shout out real quick and, and you know, yeah. maybe unpack just momentarily. What do you got? Yeah, it's a quick one. It's called The Ramp. Um, it's a skateboarding game. Um, it's like barely a game though. And that's not a slight at the game. The, uh, the developer himself put it in the Steam description that this is Less of a game and more of a digital toy. Like it's, it's so very simple, um, but it's very satisfying. Um, mm. And I don't know. It's something really fun to just kind of get your hands on for like five minutes at a time. Um, so it, it's a skateboarding game, kind of isometric view. At first, you start off with just a half pipe, and it takes you thirty seconds to learn all the controls and and everything that you can do in the game, um, and then. They give you a couple other, uh, uh, a couple other levels. There's uh, a bowl. It's actually two bowls that are connected with this little underground passage between them. There's um, there's a pool, uh, kind of L-shaped pool, and then there's the uh, the mega ramp, which is this like 200 foot tall, huge ramp that you just go off once and do this big jump, and then they bring you back to the beginning, um, and it's just a really nice game. There's a, uh, you press uh, the, I guess, a button on an Xbox controller um, or X 
on PS4 controller. And um, that like gets your character to crouch down. And there's a certain rhythm that you have to do that um, in a half, like in a half pipe, you do it as you're going down vertically and then you let go as you like hit the curve and then hit it mm. again when you hit the flat part of the bottom and then let go to, to jump off, um, off the, uh, off the vertical part going back up. Um, so that's a very simple, just kind of rhythm to get used to. And then you sure. can do spins and grabs and that's it. And mm. it's just something very, very simple and, and satisfying to, uh, play around with you know um, is, it, is that what has you shouting this thing out is that it's just it's simply satisfying and and there's something about that that is to be celebrated yeah i just think it's cool it's it's a very unique kind of thing where someone just wanted to make this this little little thing um you know i i think he fully just like made it for himself um i think another part of the description says that it was created to uh scratch a very specific itch and I, I just think it's cool. I, I like the uh, the incredible variety of, of stuff that we get with, um, you know, the the current place that we're at in in video games, where anybody can, not anybody, most people can, you know, just you know make something like this. And I just think it's cool. Um, and I do really enjoy the game as well. So I just wanted to shout it out. I love shout deeper out. games, but I, I haven't played this one. I definitely want to check it out sometime. I mean, is there is there like a, a progression system or anything like that, or is it literally just a sandbox? Does Zero. Just like meditate and None. have fun. Yeah. Honestly, you... that's so cool to me. Just like literally, just go in. It it, it feels meditative, is what it sounds mm-hmm. like to me. Just like literally, exactly. literally, like like having your brain chemicals interacting with the digital space in a very mm-hmm. clean way, and that's it. That's the experience. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's like four pre-made avatars you can pick from. Uh, that's it. There's the four levels that you can pick. You can turn music on or off. You can go hardcore mode, which is just like a little more strict on mm. like, did you actually land that spin or were you too far off? Um, it's just like yeah. a little tighter on those margins. And that's it. Like it's it's very bare bones. And, and I just really appreciate that. That's Heck awesome. Yeah. Not everything has to be a 30 hour game. You know, we, we, mm. we could use some more just experiences or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Video games can be literally anything. We're literally making it like we're making something out of nothing. It can be anything. Do more shit like that. Why not? Um, yeah. So yeah, shout out the ramp. It's called the ramp. Yes. Cool. Um, shout out. Check it out if that's your thing. Um, so we're gonna pivot gears here um, quite a bit. And, a little bit. Um, I played a game uh, a couple of months ago at this point, but I think it definitely deserves to be talked about. Um, specifically in current company for sure, um, a little game in the West called Haunting Ground, um, known in Japan. It is a, a 2005 Capcom game, so it is it is Eastern developed. Um, called Demento. Yeah, I um, love it. It's so <laughs> weird. What? What, what were they thinking? And like, you, oh, man. do you know what? Maybe we'll just fucking start there. Um, Haunting Ground makes no sense given the content of the game. Um, <laughs> Demento doesn't make much sense either (laughs) so like in terms of them selling the thing with the title it's so utterly misleading to the point that like even when i downloaded it i didn't know what the fuck i was getting into um woefully misled by the title i don't think either (laughs) of those titles are very good um no yeah it sounds like a like a i don't know like a paranormal like ghost 
It should be a ghost thing. thing. Yeah. Right. It's not a ghost thing. Spoiler alert. It's not a ghost <laughs> thing. Um, no. Like literally Haunting Ground, I think, makes so little little sense. And it's just so weird because like the way that I'm going to start this out, I think, is talking about the actual legacy of the game. Um, because when I roll credits on this thing, you're kind of left with a particular type of feeling about Haunting Ground. And may maybe I'll just talk about just... In more generalities, Haunting Ground is a 2005 Capcom survival horror game um, that came out at the end of the PS2's life cycle, released the same goddamn year as Resident Evil 4. Oops. Um, Whoopsie. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> um, it was originally conceived of as a Clock Tower project. Um, I, I think specifically Clock Tower 4, but then due to some weird marketing and rebranding and the rest of it, they decided to make it its own thing. Honestly, the, the development process of Haunting Ground itself is very, very interesting. Um, but they landed on a completely original story with original characters, which I think is bold and brave, and especially to release it alongside probably the most popular survival horror game of all time in the same year by the same company. Um, Haunting Ground, in some ways, was a doomed project. It was doomed to fail in so many different types of ways. Um, so, like, I mean, to start there, it's weird the frequency and I guess just general regularity that I see people speaking about this game lovingly. Um, in mm. 2022, um, you know, I'm a part of a bunch of different like survival horror communities online on different socials and the rest of it. And man, the love that this game gets in 2022, it's remembered so fondly. Um, and I don't necessarily know where that mythos, um, where the source of that mythos necessarily comes from. Um, it is currently, if you want to get a physical copy of the game, it's like five or $600, you know, it, it, like it sounds it, right. Yep. Sure. Like, cause it sold like 10. So that's all that's out there. Right. Like, it, and, and especially like in the West, you know, like this game didn't sell well at all. It honestly didn't even review that well. Um, but it, like, I wonder how much of people's reverence for this game in 2022, um, is kind of like the weirdness of its development and its release and its lack of sales and then it subsequently being just ex explosive economically. Um, it feels like to me, who as somebody who did genuinely enjoy the game, and I think it's very, very, very special, and we'll get into that, um, I'm just simply curious where this, I guess, retroactive reverence for the game comes from. Um, People so maybe I'll... People love their PlayStation 2 survival horror games. It's a, a, a specific yeah. era. You know, everyone talks about uh, Silent Hill 2 and 3. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to briefly push back. So it's released the same year as Resident Evil 4, but that was a GameCube exclusive at the time, wasn't it? Uh, at the time. Yes. For about at a year. At the time, it was. Yeah, um, it was. So you would conceptually think that would buy them at least a little bit of space versus right. dumping two games on the same system. Um the point still stands, though. I just wanted to to bring that up. This is no, certainly PS2 exclusive, correct? Yes, it's only I came believe out on so. PS2. Yes, um, I, I guess just specifically to that point, it would be the same Capcom marketing resources. Sure. And if you're gonna if you're gonna push for one of them, you're certainly gonna push for Res Four, um, which is a shame because I do think Haunting Ground and probably most by most metrics, is more special than Resident Evil 4. It's more Ooh. memorable, it's more interesting, it's more distinct. It's, it's, it, it is the quintessential happy midnight hot take is that Resident Evil 4 isn't Sucks. what people say it is. Boo. Um, Boo. So, um, 
maybe just like, do you guys have a, a relationship with this video game at all? Do you know what it is? I had I've, never heard of it until you mentioned it when we were talking the other day about it. Mm. I read a bunch of those Racket Boy uh, genre articles and they have all the, mm. the PlayStation 2 survival horror games like Kuon and Rule of Rose. Love Kuon. And they're Rule also Rose is next to my list. Yeah. They're also like super pricey, all of them. Like universally, they're all $300 plus. So that is the always... trifecta right there. Kuon, Haunting Ground, and Rule of Rose are the so they've always been $1,000 my... thing. They've always been on my radar for that reason. Uh, I played Haunting Ground for 45 minutes. Cool. Right before this podcast. Let's go. <laughs> nice. Nice, dude. Um, nice. So you I... saw, I mean, I did not play it or watch any gameplay. I, I read a little bit about it. Um, also, I've not played Clock Tower. Um, I did read that mm. it's um, considered a spiritual successor. I didn't it know about the Clock history Tower. of it. I didn't know about what, like, uh, you said that it was actually conceived as a Clock Tower project. Uh, and I a lot mean, of the I systems, that detail. A lot of the systems are the same. Like, the panic meter and that stuff comes from Clock Tower. Right, right, um, and, and and just like general premise of you know uh, female protagonist escaping just general like horrific pursuers like yeah. I mean that's kind of like the nature of of Clock Tower and in generally horrific and you know dark themed environments and the rest of it. Um, so we, I mean, but in its heart, Haunting Ground is a Clock Tower game. Go ahead, Colin. We played Clock Tower three together with shout out we cousin did? Jimmy. Shout out Jimmy. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> that game holds a special place in my heart because uh, I started tracking games I beat back in 2013, and Clock Tower Three is the very first game on my my games That's beaten list. That's wonderful. Wow. That is wonderful. Now I don't uh, remember anything about it, but sure. I we played <laughs> it. That happened. <laughs> we played it. We certainly did. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe I'll just kind of explain a little bit about what this game is and how it functions. And like, you guys tell me if it sounds special at all, because I do think this game is an example of it being greater than the sum of its parts. Um, because like at this point in 2005, um, it's just another survival horror game. It's just another survival horror game. And we know what that means. You know what I mean? It is so it like haunting ground belongs in that exact same gallery alongside all of the other mid-2000s to late 90s survival horror games. So we're dealing with fixed camera angles. Um, no tank controls. No tank controls. Which drove me oh, fucking crazy. It's fucking bullshit. Um, yeah. And I, I, I scoured those options looking for them. I can't believe that you would, like, you know, keep the fixed camera angles, which I love. I absolutely adore fixed camera angles. I think it's so directorially interesting. Yes. Um, it's so creative and it, like it, it allows you to curate frightening moments, especially when you're being pursued constantly where you turn a corner and now you no longer, just like Fiona, the main character's name is Fiona, no longer has eyes on the pursuer. You similarly don't have eyes on the pursuer because you don't have camera control. You can't just like rotate around, break the fourth wall and no longer have eyes on who it is that is pursuing you. It's right. terrifying. Um, but yeah, no tank controls I found very, very odd. Um, but other than that, you know, it is, it, t it takes place in a dark, um, like European, you know, probably Gothic era, um, castle. Um, you're doing just like very simple puzzle stuff. You're doing inventory management. It is a per pursual horror game. So the actual crux of the experience is being pursued by four different distinct, um, antagonists throughout the experience that kind right. of ramp up both narratively in intensity. The worst um, kind of horror continue. <laughs> it like I I largely agree. Um, 
this game, I didn't mind it so much, and maybe we can talk about why that is. Um, so you play as Fiona, who is an 18-year-old, just absolutely stunningly beautiful uh, female protagonist, and that's largely the point. She's supposed to be super beautiful because this game plays with voyeurism. That's kind of like the name of the game, is voyeurism. You mm. always feel like you have watching eyes on Fiona, and the camera angles and the, and you know, they're all fixed camera angles. And you're, you're like, it, it kind of instills you with this feeling of you're not in control of Fiona, but you're watching Fiona along with the antagonists in the game, which is really, really Ooh. effective. Um, and honestly, the, yeah, it's really, it, it, it's a creepy and really powerful concept. So you as Fiona are going throughout this castle and you do learn um, that you are the princess of the castle. You're actually inheriting this castle and you have you some as the player learn that, or Fiona learns that. Uh, Fiona learns that um, very early on. A character in the castle basically, you know, reveals this to her. Um, something happened to her parents. She does have some weird uh, memory flashback type of thing where she sees her parents, her included, get in some type of car accident, which is like it. It, it plays kind of with your your temporal expectations about the game a little bit. You think it's actually, this game could be taking place in, you know, like the 1500s or the 1600s, and then they have a flashback where she's in a, an automobile accident. Um, so the flavor of that is a little, you know, disjointed, and you get that in the opening cutscene even. Um, so you're, you as Fiona are basically trying to learn what your parents were up to. Um, Fiona possesses something called the Azoth, which is this this special principle, the special, like, it's it's honestly super sweaty and cringy, but it makes her special. And, like, her pursuers want this element of her. That she, like, the fact that she has the Azoth elevates her to this place of specialness where her pursuers then need to get this thing from her. Um, so you as Fiona are basically going throughout this castle looking for your answers, um, knowing that you are, in fact, the, like, inherited, or uh, you inherited the castle itself, so it's yours, but then why do you constantly feel like you're on the receiving end of antagonism constantly. It's this really weird, trippy thing. Colm, are you going to say something? No, I just, I, I like that aspect of it as well. It's it's your yeah. castle. Why isn't this, this should not be pressure on me, this entire situation. Exactly. Um, so I would, like, outside of general survival horror, like, puzzle solving and stuff like that, and just general exploration and, you know, escaping your pursuers, I think probably the most interesting gameplay mechanic thing here is your dog, Huey. You have a little white German shepherd that accompanies you throughout the entirety of the experience. Um, and he's a Fiona, good boy. He is, he is <laughs> a very good boy. And you better treat him well because the endings in this game are dependent upon how well you treat Huey. No fucking way. Yes. All right. Yes. Wait, um, we, the most important thing, though, can you pet the dog? You can pet the fucking dog. You can dog. pet the fuck out of the dog. There's you a whole animation. The dog. You, you can get play in fetch there. with the dog. So good. Um, so the thing is, Excellent. Fiona... Um, largely the point of Fiona is that she's absolutely and utter, utterly a victim. She's helpless. She's pitiable. Um, and every expression that hangs on her face is one of utter pity. You just feel so utterly bad for it. And she like, she's just suffering. She's suffering the entire time. She's terrified. She doesn't, she's in over her head. Like she just wants peace and she's nothing but terrified throughout the entirety of the experience. So Huey actually serves, I guess, the the function of like being the muscle. Like, so if if one of your pursuers, like Fiona can only basically hide in the game, but if one of your pursuers actually like antagonizes you and there's, you know, boss fights with each of the pursuers at the end of their section of the castle, 
um, you can use the right stick to control Huey, to have him attack or to growl or to patrol and things like that, um, which is fantastic. You know, you you turn into a room and your your pursuer is there. You just say, Huey, go get him. And he goes for the jugular and then you get out of dodge and you run away and you just hear in the distance what is going on with your dog, you know, whether or not he gets kicked off or if he goes down or if your pursuer goes down. It's, it's, it's really, really neat. And then you have to train Huey. When he does something well, you have to praise him. And when he does something that you don't like, you have to scold him. Um, mm. And that there's an invisible friendship meter with Huey in this game that actually matters in the end. Um, and this bond specifically, I think, is so fucking special. Um, it wouldn't feel the same if Fiona's like confidant in the game was another person. The fact that it is a dog who in many ways is as helpless as she is and like they're relying on each other, but it's a, it's a wordless bond between one another. It's really, really fantastic. Um, I so, played the game. I played the game for 45 minutes concluding with me, basically getting Huey to join my side. And I was fucking blown away. in that five minutes that I played with the dog, it starts out and this isn't too spoilery, but mm -hmm. he, he's, he's chained up. You rescue him and you send him off but eventually mm -hmm. he comes back to you. Um, and that first moment when it says up on the right stick to bite the guy and you bite that fucker and he runs away, you feel so fucking powerful. It's and, amazing. And the dog came out of nowhere to save you. You thought you were going to be dead. And then mm -hmm. she's on the floor like distraught because obviously that's what would happen. And then she just fucking instantly bonds with the dog. You know, she's yep. like, you came back for me. She remembers the name and then they keep going from there. And I was just like, Holy shit. You know, I didn't yep. see that coming. Um, yep. I thought this was funny because I played this on my, my PS2. Um, this is a recommendation to anybody who hasn't done the, the PlayStation 2 free McBoot mod. You can load up games onto a hard drive. And mm. then, uh, of course, you're backing up your own games. You wouldn't download games. That would be crazy. Of course uh, not. And then, so I, I just it. played Haunting Ground on my actual PS2 on, on the CRT. That's so cool. But part of that is I didn't see the cover of the game. So I had no idea the dog was coming, actually. So that was oh, just that's a, awesome. a funny little side portion of, of playing it that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the heart of Haunting Ground is the relationship between Fiona and Huey. And, like, the way in which they fill in each other's mechanical gaps is just, it's it's oddly satisfying. And the relationship is just so, so tender. Where, like, there are a couple of times throughout the experience where, like, genuinely you um, are fearing for the other's safety. There are times where you fear for Huey's safety or you're separated or something like that. And like the hole that it leaves within you when you're not with Huey and you don't know where he is, is profound. <laughs> it's truly, truly felt. Um, so I do think that honestly, the pet bonding mechanic of this game is the heart of its distinction compared to its other, you know, survival horror peers in terms of the way in which this game plays. Because otherwise you are just hiding under beds and in closets and stuff like that when these... Um, antagonists are pursuing you um so i mean i in some small way do give this i i'm i'm of the same mind as you are colin where i am not a fan of pursuer pursuer survival horror it's not interesting to me honestly it's tedious and confusing like your um, outlast like your outlast like that's, a, that's i think Resident a great Evil example 7, honestly not not a not a huge fan of that game though so sure i'm in the minority um, there yeah yeah i love resident evil 7 um but uh keaton me how too. do you feel about this style of game I have not played a ton of like pursual horror. Um, like I said, I haven't played Clock Tower. Um, I do think I would enjoy that. 
I do. I don't know. I, I, I like that. Uh, like that blood pumping feeling of, you know, like being chased, you just gotta like get the fuck out. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like it, that really does like get my heart going. It like elevates all my, all my vitals and everything. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, it, it's fun as long as it doesn't last super long. Um, or it's not like super obtuse or frustrating about like, you know, figuring out where to go and dying over and over as you have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a delicate balance there, but, um, I mean, I, I loved it in Res, uh, Resident Evil 7. I thought it was super cool. Um, you know, trying to figure out, like, where you're safe, where you're not. Um, kind of poking your head in the door, seeing the person in there and having to get the fuck out. Um, yeah. It is certainly adrenaline pumping, for sure. I mean, if, if there is a word for it. If it's done well, because, like, if it's not done well, then it's boring. It's the exact opposite. You're yeah. just, like, you literally feel, like, helpless in, in ways that are mechanically uninteresting or frustrating or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um I'll say for Haunting Ground, it was a mixture. It was certainly a mixture. Mm. Um, Because you do deal, as I was saying, with four different pursuers throughout the experience. The first one is the groundskeeper at the castle, and he's like this ginormous, orcish-looking dude who's just not there mentally. And he thinks Fiona is one of his dolls. He's like a doll collector as well. Mm. And she's just like this... It's it's a great introduction to the themes of this game, um, where like the idea is all about Fiona's purity and perfection, and then he literally sees her as a doll and can't distinguish between them. Um, so there's something, you know, dark and interesting about that. Um, the second pursuer is the maid of the groundskeep of, of the actual castle itself. Um, and she's too smart for her own good, which makes it really, really frustrating. She knows mm. exactly where you are all of the fucking time, oh. which makes it so frustrating. And like, even at its worst, is she knows familiar hiding spots in the environment where you're going to go, where, like, she will be literally chasing you. You'll go into a room where you know there's a hiding spot. You'll open up the hiding spot, and she's in there. And you're like, what, what in the fuck? <laughs> this wow. is insanity. Um, but, like, I mean, as always, when a video game gives you two simultaneously, two goals simultaneously, um, it gets really frustrating where, like, I have my head set on solving an environmental puzzle and then you throw a pursuer in there, and now I have two goals simultaneously. One is to get away from the pursuer and not get a game over screen, and the other is to solve the thing that I'm, like, racking my head against. Um, that yeah, sense of frustration is pretty profound. That's, yeah, it's, That it's, sounds really frustrating, having to do both at the same time. I would yeah, much you, rather have them split. Right, because then you feel like while you're hiding, you're simply biding time until you can get back to the task on hand. And there's something about that that just feels like I'm literally wasting my time. Um, you then, in the th- the third pursuer in the game, literally has a gun that can one-shot you, which is mm. just so fucking annoying, because even if you're like all the way down the hallway, they can just fucking get you in the back and brat you, and then you go down, and it's a game over. Mm. Um, I will say, I didn't get too many game overs in this game. I think maybe I might be hyping up a little too hyperbolically um, the annoyingness and the danger of these pursuers. I think maybe more interesting than the mechanical stuff is that honestly just the, the, the narrative relevance of it. Um, the, like the maid character who pursues you second, she's not fully human. There's like a, a cool horror fantasy element to this game. Um, it truly feels like a dark, dark folk tale in some ways, which is cool mm-hmm. to play with, you know, a, a different energy that isn't like a, obviously like Resident Evil biohazard stuff or, you know, 
Silent Hill, which is more like nightmare driven. This is kind of like fantasy in flavor. You're dealing with like princesses and like, you know, weird creatures and stuff like that. Um, so the maid so isn't like the maid isn't fully human. She's envious of um, Fiona's like literal sex characteristics. Like she wants Fiona's uterus. Like how weird is that? She just wants to give birth. So she's pursuing you to get your oh, uterus. Nice. It, like it, 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 like literally it, to take it out of her and like take it for conce- herself. Conceptually, right? <laughs> conceptually, like she she's envious of the fact that you feel pleasure and like can like have babies and stuff like that, and she can't, and she like is so envious of that. Who knows the actual like, I guess stakes of that and what she would do if she were to actually pursue you. One of the things about this game, despite it being very, very heavy in tone, is it is tasteful as fuck. And that's so cool. When you're dealing, you're not dealing with death, you're dealing with like literally def- defilement. And like that is, that's, that's, that's so heavy thematically. It's so heavy thematically. And that can go wrong when you're playing with those themes with the smallest of missteps. Haunting Ground doesn't miss a step. It, it doesn't ever, you know, over sexualize Fiona or it's anything like that. It's a little like horny. Okay, it's, I let me. I, I, I grab this screenshot from my first part of the game. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So it's when you she starts off in the bathrobe. Okay, game's not horny, says John. Starts it's a off bed the, sheet. I'm it, sorry, it's a bed sheet. Bed sheet, right? Correct. <laughs> um. So then they change the clothes, and then, um, she gets the, the 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 first gothic clothing, and it says it fits nice to my form. Except it's a little too tight in the chest. A little snug in the breast. Yeah, I I, I rolled my eyes at that as well. For sure. Um, Hilarious. Yes. But like, honestly, like if you're like, I even think that that stuff was done tastefully because there's a moment where she's changing out of her bedsheet into the gothic clothing where like Daniela, who is the maid, says like, here's your clothing, princess, and like lays them out on the bed and then turns to a painting where someone is very clearly watching Fiona change through the painting. Mm. And you kind of expect that like you're going to experience that along with the voyeur. Um, but they do it so tastefully. So like that you know that it's happening, but you don't ever, you know, you don't visually exploit Fiona in any realistic way. Correct. Um, and, and and the game is a little horny. It's kind of unavoidable, but it's it actually serves the theme in this case. It's not just yeah. like fan service per se. It's, it's actually, not fan. Th- that's it's exactly integral the to point, the, Colin. To the, th- to the theme of the game. Yes, yeah. yes. That's, that, that's exactly the point that it's Thematically not fan service. Thematically relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, just just like no nude scenes, no even like underwear scenes outside of a bed sheet that she's wearing, because like literally the point is that they're gonna do really terrible things to her. So like her in a bed sheet, like she should have been naked in those scenes, and the fact that they even put her in a bed sheet is a good thing. Um, so I mean, this game is really really cool, and like it, it plays with those themes like literally for maybe the first six to seven hours, and then at the end of the game, it does get like like super weird horror, almost like cosmically weird, and like mm. almost like um, like black logy weird. Um, where thing like the logic of it doesn't make much sense and like you're going into rooms and things don't like any longer like abide by the actual physical laws of reality. Um, I like this. I always like when when horror games rip the knob off and get like cosmic and Lovecraftian and stuff like that. This game isn't scary. And if you're going to like rip the knob off in terms of like Lovecraftian, it, this game is icky. It's not scary. So, like, if you're going to get cosmically weird with the horror, you know, maybe freak me out a little bit or try to freak me out. Um, wasn't too much spooked by this one, honestly. Um, because this is how you feel about the the chase aspect, right? Because I... Yeah. Maybe I'm not scared either, but I don't like being chased, and it's stressful. Right. 
Yeah, stressful yes. is different than scared, I guess. Mm. It's a survival horror game that plays with different negative emotions. And that's kind of neat. That's kind of, that, that is certainly kind of neat. Um, yeah, that's it cool. Is it sounds a, like they're working with things just like other than fear, you know, like. Yeah, there's exactly, Keaton. Something to be said about like making the scariest game possible, you know, like Resident Evil 7, I think is scary as fuck. Um, but it doesn't play with a whole lot outside of just fear. So right. like, yeah, playing like bodily with, fear. With, yeah, yeah, playing with like pity and like anxiety and i don't know it it does sound a little more textured a little more interesting yeah yeah for sure um and like like fiona obviously is going through an incredibly stressful situation she does have a panic meter and like when an enemy hits her it doesn't necessarily like do damage to her Mm -hmm. it stresses her the fuck out and when she gets so stressed out she like actually has like a panic attack and freaks out um and the screen goes into like weird frenetic colors and like you don't have full control over her anymore, which sucks when you're being pursued, obviously. And she's like tripping over herself and like running in odd directions and stuff like that momentarily. And you have to like regain control over her. So yeah, it's not really like this game doesn't play with like the fear of like getting your arm cut off or dying. It like, it plays with something weird and like mental and psychological. And um, it just feels like it's playing another game entirely. so, I mean, yeah, this game is special. It's gorgeous. This is one of the most beautiful PS2 games that I've ever seen. I was blown um, away. I, I couldn't believe it. The Even yeah. the like the CG cutscenes, and then uh, it's not like a pre-rendered background. It's fully 3D environments. Yeah. And, and no, it, lo- no load screens. No load screens. How weird is that? Uh, it's ridiculous. None? Yep. It's crazy. M- maybe between like major chapters or like cutscenes or whatever, they're probably mm. loading things in the background during those things. But, but no, you like, think of no, like I've... Resident Evil, you open up a door and it shows you the cutscene or whatever, or between exactly. wings or whatever, you just open the door. So I, I think yep. it has to work that way for the chase to work, right? It, it can't load between chase <laughs> right. things. So mm-hmm. mechanically, I think they had to figure it out that way. Point. Yeah. And it like 2005, pretty late in the PS2 cycle. And Capcom certainly has their head around that te- tech at that point. Yeah. For mm-hmm. sure. It's the latest um, it can be, really. But like I, I am you know hard pressed to find a more beautiful video game on the PS2 than Haunting Ground. It is stunning. Fiona is fucking beautiful. Huey, incredible, moves fluidly and naturally. The environments are stunningly beautiful. Um, yeah, so technologically very, very impressive. Um, one thing that I do want to shout out that I'm thinking of now is the music is really, really cool. I played you guys just a very small snippet of one of the chase sequences before this, and just how it's it, it's noise. You know, it's industrial. It's just mm-hmm. it. It is like anxiety in sound. You know, what does anxiety sound like? It's that. Um, One really cool thing about the music, though, of this game is that it actually all uses um, native PS2 system sounds for the soundtrack itself for actual direct manipulation of the songs themselves while you're being pursued. So, like, as opposed to them being, like, recorded MP3s or whatever that you import into the game and they're just pieces of music, they are in real time adapting and being manipulated based off of the status of the pursuer in relation to you. So like as they're getting closer or as, you know, uh, Fiona's having, you know, more anxiety about the relationship between the pursuer, the music speeds up in tempo and then slows down and gets like this weird, drunken, wishy-washy, seasick kind of feeling. And because they're all system sounds, they can actually just apply an algorithm to it to change that in real time. I think that's really, really neat and interesting as opposed to being, you know, just fucking, you know, pre-composed pieces of music. Um, I thought that was really, really fucking neat. Um, So, yeah, I mean, like, honestly, when I rolled credits on this game, I thought it was incredibly special. And, like, I I understand the reverence for it. 
And it's hard to simply say, you know, like survival horror PS2 game. Um, it's just that again. It has all of the fixtures because it does, but it is special for sure. Um, so it does, you know, if if survival horror is your thing and you're looking for something fresh, Haunting Ground does get a hard recommend for me. For sure. I think it's really, really... I loved, loved this video game. I thought it was super fucking special. Um, and, you know, there are multiple endings, which drove me fucking crazy. Um, the, end, <laughs> the, the ending that... The ending, like, you know, just... This, this is literally a hill that I will die on. I hate multiple endings in games. Even choice-based games. I fucking hate multiple endings. Um, the ending I got was fine. I got, like, the true ending or whatever, and it was fine. Um, the bad ending that you get in this game is when you mistreat Huey. Um, and, you know, I'll spoil the bad ending because who fucking cares? Don't mistreat Huey. Um, literally, the final scene is just uh, Fiona, like, sitting there, and she's prego as fuck. And, like, it just slowly Whoopsies. zooms out on her being, like, you know, like, kind of, like, oddly, like, satisfied with the situation, and she's just pregnant. And you're just like, what the fuck? That is <laughs> so fucked beyond belief. But that only happens if you mistreat Huey. So just treat the dog good, you know? Um, <laughs> but uh, it is cool that, like, throughout the entire game, Fiona is just nothing but pitiable. In the final shot, I'm not going to reveal any of the actual context, but it's the first time that you see a stern look on her face. And that's the final shot that you see of Fiona. And it, it, it is so fucking effective that like your, your object of purity is actually capable and competent and comfortable in the world for the first time. It was really, really fucking powerful. Um, so shout out. I get the fucking reverence. I recommend that you guys play it at some point in your life, just as survival horror fans. Um, it is it is definitely special. Um, so that'll end my spiel unless you guys have any questions or anything that you guys want to comment on thereafter. Um, Just to go back to your very first initial question about why it's relevant or getting Steam in 2022, mm -hmm. they don't make survival horror games anymore, or, or specifically not like this. They they haven't done it since the PS2 era. Right. Um, you know, Resident mm -hmm. Evil went off in its direction. It's, it's conceptually returned to its roots a little bit, but it's still definitely different uh, yeah. than the, the third person... Of, of that style and and i think people still like retro games they're still willing to go back and reevaluate things and i, I think yeah. haunting around was was prime for that for sure yeah, certainly and johnny you mentioned early on in your spiel about um people remembering this game very fondly uh, mm -hmm. do you think it is like nostalgia like for the actual time like these people actually played it when it came out or do you think people found it later on when it you know, like the cult classic kind of thing where like gains a following later on. Great question. Um, this game is very, very hard to get your hands on in 2022. Mm -hmm. um, if you have It's a, not that hard though, right? I mean, if well, you just want to play it. Right. It's very hard to get your hands on legally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's very hard to get your hands on legally. You can buy it if you have a Japanese version of a PS3. It is on the Japanese PSN market. You can download it on the PS3. Why do they do not, shit like yeah, that? Not if you have a Western PS3. Um, or otherwise, you know, you're dropping five, six hundred bucks on a PS2 version. Um, so, I mean, it, honestly, just emulate it. I mean, like, it, I'm not going to endorse any one thing, but, like, that, that's how you probably have to play the game, which sucks. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it is it is fucking hard to get your hands on. So, honestly, it's it, it, it's a tough question, Keaton, because it, the game didn't sell very well back in the day. Mm -hmm. So, I, I can't imagine there's a huge armada of individuals that were playing it back in the day um, right. to, to, to begin with, you know, outside of very niche circles. Um, and the PS3 then, was just about to come out as well. It, it wouldn't have right, had a, a long right. shelf life. 
Yeah, and like it, it was a full, you know, full price game and stuff like that. I can't imagine so many people just like clamoring to play Haunting Ground back in the day, but then it was subsequently difficult to find thereafter. So like, honestly, that's, it's a great question. I don't, I don't know how people remember this thing or how they got their hands on it or whatever. I mean, I do know that the horror game culture in general is pretty fanatic and like people are gonna, you know, collecting is a huge thing and the rest of it. I wouldn't be surprised if people do find copies or whatever. Um, but it's a good question. And honestly, I do not know, which is crazy. Um, Capcom, you don't have to remake the game, but just fucking release it somewhere, please, that we can play. Um, there is a Fiona skin in Street Fighter V. How weird Bonkers. is that? That's crazy. On Cami or whatever her fucking name is. Um, yeah, they have a Fiona skin. That's so fucking weird to me. So like, I mean, it's and that was only a couple of years ago. Years ago, so that's not like truly out of the you know cultural conversation. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's 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 certainly a weird little thing. Um, but you know, if it's a cult classic, sign me up for that cult. I'm in. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's all I gotta say. Um, cool game. Cool fucking game. I'm going to throw to you, Colin. The oh, fuck you been playing, bro? Oh, my turn? <laughs> yeah. I've been playing a game several months ago at this point, but, you know, here we are. Called... Shantae! I have alluded on previous Happy Midnight things that Shantae was the, the mysterious series I was playing. Oh my god, guys. It's so good. And so... <laughs> We're talking about like how I was going to discuss the game or the series or whatever. And essentially I want to talk through you with you guys. Why do I like it so much? I know mm, it's good. Mm. You can't convince me otherwise, but why is it? Why is it my favorite game of all time? That's hyperbolic as shit. I love Shantae so fucking much. Let's get into it, mm. baby. Let's go. So I'm not going to talk about one game specifically that will we'll focus largely on the Game Boy Color game because I think it's if not the best, the most interesting and most, like, impressive of the series. Mm. Just to give you a quick history lesson on Shantae, since I've got these Switch games here, no big wow. deal. First Shantae game, 2002 on the Game Boy Color. Uh, mm. Notable because it's super late era. The, the Game Boy Advance was actually out at this time. They just got cut where they couldn't, they got caught where they couldn't make it for the Game Boy Advance in time, essentially. Right. And then a lot of time passes. And you get the DSiWare game exclusive Shantae Risky's Revenge. This is 2007, Damn. I believe. Uh, they finally all got out on Switch, which is cool, which is where everybody should play them. Yeah, and for audio listeners, Colin's holding up beautiful box art of all the Switch versions right now. It's fucking awesome. This one is fake. This is a reproduction uh, <laughs> cartridge. You want to know why? Hell yeah. Because the Switch version of Shantae the Pirate's Curse costs $600. <laughs> Awesome. Six hundred dollars. Wow. Not the original version of the game. This is a re-release. Six hundred dollars. Oh uh, this God. is a a three DS game. Game four. Shantae Half Genie Hero. This one's real cheap. You get this one thirty bucks anywhere. No big deal. Switch game. And then the latest game is Shantae and the Seven Sirens. This case is authentic, but there's no game inside. Okay. Because uh, this costs a hundred dollars. Gotcha. Uh, that's the hey, why Switch do you have game. the case and no game? Keaton, you, you ask. It's because <laughs> the digital version came with this plush I bought. Of <laughs> so that, but I still needed to have the case on my shelf. So for some reason, Limited Run Games sold the case for $3. So I got the case <laughs> for $3, but I have this plushie and I just wanted the plushie. Because I, 
guys, you don't understand. This game took over my life. I have to have all the things. <laughs> yeah, and for audio listeners, again, this plushie, you have to see this plushie. Go to YouTube and look at the thing, because the plushie is out of control. I then bought the official Shantae art book. Wow. Oh my god. Which is a ginormous book of of all the sketch arts for all the games, and it's beautiful and wonderful. This game does have a great, the whole series has a great art style. I do really like it. It's, it does. It does. It's light and Got cartoony. Some, and Some I, soundtracks. I know, this is so... the Risky Beats soundtrack. <laughs> awesome. Um, nice. This is also fake. This is a the the original Game Boy Color game. Uh, guess how much a loose cartridge of the Game Boy Color game costs? Uh, those are expensive. I know that. Three fifty. Eight hundred dollars. Nice. And it's then not if you want a box much. copy, you're gonna get like two thousand dollars. Okay. So that's that's the history of Shantae. It's developed by Way Forward. All the games are. Uh, directed by Matt Bozon, the studio head at uh, WayForward. So, Shantae, it's a Metroidvania, right? We've all played Metroidvanias, is that correct here? Familiar? Yeah. I've played I, one or two in my time. Sure, sure, sure. I Wait, I did want to, on that point, I did have a question about it. Because um, I, I watched some like YouTube videos about like the history of the series a little bit and, and some gameplay. Um, but it sounds like it's individual levels that are themselves little self-contained Metroidvanias. Is that accurate? Well, Keaton, it varies <laughs> by game. <laughs> it's got a whole stack so, of notes. <laughs> so the, the first game, the Game Boy Color game, is just a Metroidvania, open world style. And that's a, it's an important distinction, actually, level-based Metroidvania versus open world, which is kind of like the right. traditional one we're talking about. Right, because I think of uh, like Warrior 2. Uh, or any of the Warrior Land games. Yes, um, excellent example. That's your level-based Metroidvanias, right? Yeah, with multiple exits and secrets and stuff, but mm. there's a beginning and an end of the level. So the first two, uh, Shantae and Risky's Revenge, are the open world. And then Pirate's Curse is very small islands. There's like 10 to 12 small islands that you have Metroidvania stuff on. And you mm -hmm. take your Metroidvania between the islands and stuff, but this is kind of how they set the series on, because the next one is is even worse. And it's weird for this to be their, their fourth game, but it's almost arcade-style level-based. And mm. then to they make it torturous to go back through the level. They give you, like, mid-level warps. You can't go mm. back and forth between the levels. Like, once you pass a checkpoint, you cannot go backwards. Mm. Like, mm. In, in, in the island-based one, you can at least go back and forth. Uh, that was mm. kind of a misstep, and they went back to the, the Metroidvania for the other one. Um, mm. But So I wanted to focus on the Game Boy Color game. It's just the most beautiful game I've ever seen on the Game Boy Color. Are you guys familiar with um, the, the Mega Man sprite trick and how they make that animate so well? No. No, I don't think so. It's kind of a, a retro video game history lore thing. There, there are always two Mega Mans on screen at all time, and they animate together, which is what makes them look so colorful and distinct. You can't mm. tell them separately, but that's what allows them to do all the animations and stuff. Mm. What do there you mean, are... like the original Mega Man? Like the NES? NES? Yes, the NES Mega Mans. That's how they handled that. So for Shantae, there are 12 Shantaes on screen at all times. Whoa. I listened mm. to a, a, an interview with a developer, and he was just describing all this stuff. Great interview. It's a Retronauts episode. Um, and then all this 
because there's sprite limits on the screen as well. And so that if Shantae was like at any point on the screen, they couldn't let that happen over here. And the game was apparently horrible to make. And that's why it took so long to come out. But mm. they just now, took all this. When you say they're 12 sprites, are they all like full body sprites? Or is Shantae herself made up of smaller sprites? So they're, all, they're, they're 12 sprites stacked on top of each other. But like they animate differently. So it allows like for more frames of animation and to look different and more unique, essentially. Hmm. Just to create uh, a smoother on... animation. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and okay. occupy and be bigger and all that stuff. Um, but and I, I didn't think doing a Metroidvania game on the the Game Boy Color was possible, right? Mm. And and just to be open world, it's a it's a twelve to fifteen hour game. No Sean, way. Yeah. It's 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 the whole deal, which which really blew me away. Damn. Um, mm. And this is where I'll, I'll start throwing in some of the, the soundtrack. It's the best Game Boy Color soundtrack, which I realize is not the first time I said this on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at you, Pokemon trading card game. Uh, but it's Every time Colin plays a Game Boy Color game, no, this is the best the soundtrack best on the Game Boy Color. Uh, but it's, it's uh, the, the composer is Jake Kaufman, and he does the whole Shantae series. It's this crazy deep bass soundtrack. So if you play the game, you have to have headphones on for sure, or you'll be missing out on most of the effect um but okay so getting into why do i love shantae the game is fucking charming the game is unbelievably charming i'm now mm -hmm. going to lay out the cast of characters here for shantae Let's so go. you've you've got the title character shantae she is a half genie hero her mother is a genie her father is a human you never see either of these people in the series um she's okay her catchphrase is ret to go which is cute as shit. Uh, everyone should watch the Seven Sirens opening animation. It's the most amazing thing. It's a, a J-pop song. Us? Yeah. It's yeah, a yeah. J-pop song good. with some anime style animation. Give you a good character show. Uh, so she is kind of, her guardian is Uncle Mimic, not her actual uncle. He's your stereotypical father figure. Uh, he screws up a bunch that she has to rescue him. Uh, you have the dumb guy friend, Bolo. Bolo does not wear a bolo tie. Uh, Bolo's number one characteristic mm. is that he's horny for the villain of the game, who is an evil pirate lady named Risky Boots. Risky Boots. <laughs> awesome. What a great Fantastic. name. Fantastic. Love it. And that's, the second game is called Risky Revenge. She she recurs in all the games. Um, you have your girlfriend. Her name is Sky, uh, and she has a bird named Wrench, which is a mix of the bird Wren and a finch. Get it? But the bird yep. is also a wrench. Get it? <laughs> Woo! Get it? And then, like, to open up dungeons, the bird will fly in and then, like, unscrew the dungeon for you because it's a wrench, but it's a wrench. Wow. What do you mean the bird is a wrench? Like, it's made of metal and it's, it's literally just a wrench with wings? It's a bird. It's a full-on bird that acts as the tool, a wrench. It will contort. Like, there's a dungeon and there's, like, a, like a, a, a bolt that, that you need to undo. A, a cartoony shapeshifter, yes. It's a bird and it flies up to the bolt that it needs to undo and then its mouth just goes on the shape of the bolt and then unscrews it to get you into the dungeon. Fantastic. It's amazing. Uh, okay, getting into some of the weirder stuff, because this wasn't weird enough. Uh, she has another girlfriend named Roddy Tops. Roddy Tops is a zombie. She starts out as a villain, sure. but becomes her best friend. There's a group of zombies. She has brothers Abner and Poe, and... They want to eat your brains. Zombies and Shantae, they want to eat your brains. Right top, the whole first game is trying to eat your fucking brains, bro. Mm -hmm. mm. Pop quiz. 
how do the zombies stop themselves from wanting to eat brains? Mm, I don't know. Coffee. They need coffee. They're coffee connoisseurs. They drink oh, coffee. Sure. They don't need to eat your brains anymore. They're very nice people. They're best friends now with Shantae. It's fantastic. This is cute as fuck, Colin. All of this is so cute. My, my I'm all about this. We're charmed straight off. Yes. Uh, the I think that's it for the characters. Uh, Risky Boots is is incredible. Uh, she's a very busty blue pirate lady that Bolo wants to get it on with all the time. And this is a a franchise villain. You said franchise villain. Yeah, your your Doctor Robotnik's your your Bowser's. She's in gotcha. every game. They they as, try as, to subvert it a little bit at some points. Sure, sure. Um, and the characters that you were just describing, you were kind of talking about some transformative relationship stuff in terms of being like, you know, at one point the Zombos being like bad guys and then coming. Is is this cross game stuff? You know, in one game they were bad guys and then like, are, are, are these relationships enduring across all iterations of the game throughout the series lifetime? Yeah, that's one of the, the cool parts about the series is it's all linear. The, the, mm. the first game and then they, the, the, the rela relationships grow and you are kind of meeting them like they've met before, but like the initial relationship is, is forged in the first game. Mm. And and I, I think this is one of the unique characteristics of the series is the the game worlds are almost the same the whole time. There, mm. there, there are definitely differences. Uh, the world is called mm. Sequinland. And it, it all works in the same way. Like the fields are always to the right of the starting area. Mm. And, and as the game goes on, it gets different. The the fifth game, she's she goes to a different island to get out of that. But it's mm. it was both, I think, a weird choice, but satisfying to kind of know what you were getting into. Sure. And, and they would iterate and improve the graphics as it went through. You know, we were talking about it started as pixel art, and then it went into just like really beautiful uh, 2D sprites by the end of it, uh, HD yeah. 1080p stuff. I gorgeous. love the art style of the uh, the most recent two. Absolutely gorgeous. This is what I wish more of these like 2d games were like, you know, you can do a game that like, you know, pays a lot of reverence to the old school, you know, 2d platformers, but it doesn't have to be pixel art just because it's, it's doing that. You know, you can do so many sure. things and everyone just going straight to pixel art every time is a, a little disappointing. I don't necessarily dislike pixel art, but it, it definitely feels overused at this point. So, you don't have to go 3d. It doesn't have to happen, you know? Yeah, uh, that doesn't have to happen either. Started in 2002. The last game came out in 2019. Yeah, you know, it's... Yeah, that's it's pretty this, long. Yep. Yeah. And it's They've got always this well. hand-drawn art style. Just love. Yeah. 17, 18 years. I, I think staying mostly under the radar is kind of impressive why they, they keep making them, right? Well, that's that's why, like, hearing that actual stretch of time, like, said out loud was surprising to me. Because there's something about Shantae that I think of as, like, a modern video game character. But that's simply not true. She's a 20-year tenure. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I It's just, like, one of those things you don't understand, like, all video game fandoms. It's impossible to, to grasp it all. There are enough right. people buying these games that it makes sense for this... Not not nothing studio. Uh, we were talking mm -hmm. about some of the games they make. They're doing the new Advance Wars uh, right. boot camp thing or whatever that's coming out. Right. They're a well-known studio, and they haven't like been bought out or sold or sold the Shantae IP. It's, mm. uh, it's a passion project for them, which I think is really cool. Shantae mm. was designed by the, the, the director's wife, Erin uh, oh, Bozon, yeah. and it was just mm. one of her characters that they mm. eventually made into a video game, and it became the franchise. Yo, she cute though. She also cute though. fucking charming. 
Um, okay, so the the last character I wanted to bring up is the best one. Squid Baron. He I is love it. a giant yeah. squid, and there are barons of Sequinland. There's Techno Baron, there's Squid Baron, and the barons change between games. Um, they're the bad guys. So Squid Baron is this giant squid, and he's he's the fourth wall breaker of the game. Mm. And so the first time you meet him, he's just your your typical bad guy. You beat him up real good. He's the first boss, and it's it's no no issue whatsoever. You meet him in the third game, and before you fight him. He's, you, you have a conversation with him. He's just on an island. And he's like, hi, Shantae, what's up? I missed you. <laughs> and he's like, you know, I was just really upset. I thought I was more of like a fourth boss character, not a first boss character. This is bullshit. And Shantae's <laughs> like, I'll help you, Squid Baron. And from there, eventually he goes on until he's almost like the penultimate boss uh, in, in the fifth so game cute. and stuff. So it's a, me- it, it, it's a meta game. They will uh, comment on the actual meta experience of the thing. Or no? It's mostly Squid Baron. The, the entire experience okay. is not gotcha. there, but that is Squid Baron's purpose, is to comment on everything like that. Beautiful. Beautiful. So that's, that's, that's mostly... I just needed to get this out of my system, guys. This has been in me for months. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. want to go and, and talk a little bit about the games specifically. So the first two are, are just largely similar Metroidvania games. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third one is where it became the level-based Metroidvania, which is mm-hmm. where I think the series took took the bad turn it just doesn't Mm. go well it's it still operates in a metroidvania way you're just adding infinite loading screens like to go try your ability you have to run to the boat get on the boat go to the other island and try your ability Mm. you know if you're playing metroid or anything like that you can just explore the world fluently Mm. um and then half genie hero specifically is 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 rough in that way half genie hero is is interesting in that it was a kickstarted game and they added Mm. they're continuing to add modes to it um it's the first game where you can play as there's a there's like a friendship mode where you play as bolo sky and roddy tops and they all have have different modes and it's an entirely different game uh that game has like infinite content um Mm. and so the the fifth game is an Apple Arcade game. Isn't huh. that wild? They were really specifically wild. commissioned by Apple to to launch the... This is when the Apple Arcade was coming out. Mm. And it released in two parts. Um, huh. And that's where I first heard about the game. And that was the first Shantae game I played. Um, mm. I eventually went back to Pirate's Curse, but I, I tried it on Apple Arcade. Thank God they've rescued it. And you can just buy it on Switch as a, as a final product now. Sure. I was looking it up. They just did a, a an update late in 2021. They added a, an entire new definitive mode to mm. the the fifth game, which I, I I thought was pretty wild that they're they're still supporting that game. And boy, I'm just looking forward to the next Shantae game. Fuck, are there whisperings of it? No, not yet. Uh, gotcha. And it kind of upsets me that they just did the update uh, because that means they're not working on the next game. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm. yeah, sure, sure. Um, so, I mean, like what I want to dive into here is actually, you know, obviously we're, we're largely putting you on trial here and trying to identify why the fuck this thing is in fact so special. Bring it. And you are like actually not the only person that I've heard this opinion from. Like, I remember like certain personalities in the gaming industry speaking with a similar reverence for Shantae and her titles. Um, and even I, who had, you know, watched a, a number of playthroughs on YouTube at this point in preparation for this thing, um, 
skipping through, obviously, and maybe not really truly, you know, sucking it all in as one would with a Game Boy in their hand. Um, how does it feel to play? You know, like actually like mechanically and stuff like that. How does she feel to hop around things and transform into different creatures and stuff like that? Obviously that has to be in place or the charm itself would fizzle if she doesn't feel good in your hands. Can you talk about the gameplay a little bit? Yeah, and this is something that grew across the series. Um, the first game is fantastic. It's got some issues. Um, the the hitbox. So she attacks by whipping her hair. Uh, I've seen it. Yep. Also That's fantastic. Um, it's it's too short. So you have to walk right up to enemies mm. and, and whip them. So that's that's the main issue with the first game: the jumping, uh, the transformation. She does she does the monkey transformation and the elephant transformation. The monkey can do wall climbing stuff, as you would expect. Uh, it eventually learns an ability where it can like rocket across wall to mm. wall, so it can traverse that way. And mm. the elephant essentially just exists to smash blocks and and like ground pound switches. So it's mm. it's pretty basic in that the the thing that makes the 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 hair whipping shortage good in the first game is you there's an entire magic system but mm. what is bizarre about the magic system is it's finite you buy items you buy five uses of the thunderbolt magic instead of just oh, having wow. a, a mana pool and they mm. did away with uh, that system yeah exactly um but once you get the magic and you can start flinging it around I'm I'm a classic video game hoarder, so I, I didn't use any of that magic, and I struggled with the first game <laughs> until sure. I, I started just letting it fly, yeah. and all that stuff is, is is very fun. By the time they get to the third one, Pirate's Curse, game feels so fucking good. Oh my god. Um, so in that one, you're working with... I'm going to spoil the shit out of the games. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's not story-driven games. <laughs> it's it, all about the charm it. the whole time. So in the third game, you're working with Risky Boots, the series villain, and you get her equipment. So you get Risky's pistol, uh, Risky's cutlass, um, and all that traversal stuff is fucking incredible. Uh, you mm -hmm. get her cannon, which gives you like a triple jump, so you can literally just float for forever. You get a you get this ridiculous dash with the cutlass. So you need a long runway, and you, you dash with the cutlass, and then you jump, and then you float for like literally a minute straight. You just cover these crazy distances using all the the traversal mechanics mm. and it's just so smooth um and using the cutlass is better than the the hair whip actually you know what i mean mm. um so th they figured it out by then and then from there on the the last two games are almost identical uh it's like they they developed the art that keaton was talking about for half genie hero and then they ported that to seven sirens and just redid the artwork and stuff uh the, gotcha. all, all the mechanics all the magic they added a confusing monster card system, which gives you minute bonuses that don't fucking matter um, mm. that you can add in kind of like create your own build. Mm. Um, but that's, that's the only difference. So what sort of bonuses? The, like um, use less mana on this attack or, or mm. your hair will whip so much longer and you can mix mm. and match. Um, mm. it's, it's an annoying system though, because you have to farm monsters to get it. So you get in that classic uh, Diablo-esque style where you're running off screen, killing sure. the enemy. It didn't drop. Um, that was pretty frustrating. But the games feel incredible. Um, so it's a it's a weird series in that it like universally on Metacritic gets 82%. No less, no more. Always 82%, which is weird, you know. 
Do you, so like, are there any like universal gripes that other people have that you would like to take to task? Like, have you read anything online about like, like what, what kind of umbrage could anybody possibly throw at a series like this? I think, Shantae, that? I think Shantae fans are broken. And I think if you're in, you're in and you've got nothing bad to say about the game. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, I tried to join a, a, a Fante, a Fante, a Shantae fan group on uh, Facebook. Fante. And man, that's, I'm a Fante. I'm a Fante, Fante of Shantae. <laughs> yep. Uh, it's not hard enough. The the games became uh, tr- trivially easy, and uh, part of that mm. update I was talking about for the last game as they released was called the Definitive Edition. That is supposed mm. to be what they call traditional Shantae hard. The the mm. first game's pretty hard. I'm mm. like, oh great, cool. So I played the shit version. Thanks, guys. I just they changed <laughs> the entire game out from underneath me. I don't I don't truly yeah. appreciate that. Um, um, so like. You think about like how Shantae might live alongside its other like Metro Metroidvania peers. Um, do you think it occupies original enough of a space that like it can live alongside Metroid and Castlevania and like Hollow Knight and stuff like that? Is it original enough? Do you think? You have to. It's 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 like what you value. Like mm. we talk about vibes a lot and and, and yeah. charm and it, if if you're just looking for an extremely solid charming and fun metroidvania i think shantae is like the best one but it is not it is not hollow knight which is mechanically intricate and and dark and doing something fresh and the badge system is unique and the difficulty is brutal but totally fair and I, i remember mixing those charms for hours trying to find the right thing that's not in shantae but it's kind of what you're looking for um, well, yeah, and uh, like honestly, to me, like hearing that is like that sells me on Shantae more so than other most Metroidvanias. Like as somebody who loves Metroid and Castlevania, like largely speaking, when I play a Castlevania game, I'm going to Dracula's Castle. I know what I'm doing. When I go to Me- when I play Metroid games, I'm not a huge Metroid apologist. I love Super Metroid, um, but like some of the other subsequent Metroid games, I'm just like I just feel alone, and like it's just it's all the same vibe. But there's something about Shantae to me that really lights me up because the charm is always what I'm looking for in games. It's some, it's, it's kind of unspoken in a, a particular type of way where like you get in and you're just like you're just possessed by something beyond the game itself. And that to me is so exciting. Um, I think that's a I good point that Metroidvanias inherently have a like a uniqueness problem. They're, they're yeah. all largely yeah. the same. Uh, you talk about Castlevania. Symphony of the Night is one of the best games of all time. But then, like Circle of the Agreed. Moon, Harmony of Dissonance, uh, Aria of Sorrow, um, Order of Ecclesia, Portrait of Ruin, are all arguably the exact same game. They're all fun, but they're mm. all identical. So, in, in this genre, that what happens loves, when you just like nail a formula, you know, like just true. don't fuck with it. Don't fuck with it. It's perfect. Right. But, right. But in this genre where everything is so similar. If it's not going to be Hollow Knight for mechanical brilliance, I'm going to take my my fun charm game with the the best Game Boy Color soundtrack. You heard it. Uh, <laughs> uh, available. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it's kind of like a, it hit me at the right time, too. I remember I picked up... Mm. Have you guys ever heard of the, the game Vigil, The Longest Night? I don't think no, so. I don't think so. It's a, a somewhat popular Switch uh, Metroidvania that's like extremely Dark Souls. And mm. I bought it, and I, I was hyped to play it, and it was just too 
too fucking much for me. I was like, I just don't have it in me to care and learn these systems. And that's when I found Shantae. And I just went, wee! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah, heck yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, honestly, th th that's so exciting to me. Go ahead, Keith. I'm just going to say, like, it was very similar with me and Moonlighter. You know, like I said, it, it's about what you're expecting and, and what you want to play at that moment. And I think I was, like, coming off Sekiro, maybe. And mm. just like needed exactly. something a, a yeah, little man. more relaxed. Like, like I've been fucking tense. Like I just played Sekiro for three months straight. Like I need something to like chill me out a little bit. Yeah, and just found it at the right time. Yeah, for sure. And like it, it like I mean, insofar as like Colin is describing this to me as somebody who has no experience with Shantae specifically, um, it feels like it, it is a gift. Like it feels like Shantae itself is willing to give itself to you, and like it's there to like you know, relax you and it's there to engage you and it's it's there to be silly, it's there to be distracting and stuff like that. But like, yeah, if you're playing Sekiro for fucking three months or whatever, like, and, and then like, Shantae's here waiting for you to be like, I got you, homie, get over here. And it's full and it's complete and it's silly and it's like, that to me is just like, I I, I, I love that formula of a video game. I love it so, so much. So like, mm -hmm. honestly, Colin, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sold on this thing. And like, honestly, like I, I, I have been wanting to play a Shantae game for a very, very long time. Um, I just didn't know where to start. I didn't know, you know, any any information about it or whatever. But like, you're you're you you've sold me pretty hard. They're all available on Switch digitally. They yeah. all got ported to the Switch. The first Shantae, the Game Boy, the first Shantae, the Game Boy Color <laughs> one is only ten dollars. Cool. Um, so that's not bad. You can also uh, just emulate the the Game Boy Color version of that. That'll be just fine for you. Where Highly do you recommended. recommend where where do you recommend a newcomer starts? John, I wasn't prepared for this question. Sorry, bro. I'm <laughs> sorry, dude. There's no way so you got the the, the first <laughs> shut Shantae. The fuck up. <laughs> you shut your mouth when you're talking about Shante. I'm a fan day <laughs> here, boy. Uh so the first one I think is the most amazing, but that's because I'm like a weird, perverse lover of video game history. And the mm. whole time I was like, they're doing this on a fucking Game Boy Color. Are you kidding me? This is fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't recommend that one. It's got to be Shantae and the Pirate's Curse, which is the okay. 3DS one. So cool. smooth. Uh, they upgraded the art style here. This is actually an in-between pixel art and mm. uh, the later style as well. Um, I would definitely start with Shantae and the Pirate's Curse. Only $600 to buy the physical... Switch easy, easy point of entry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean the Switch? One? How, how much would it be like on the 3DS? Do you have an idea? The 3DS one is like uh, 100, <laughs> 120 bucks. He's got that too. If He's you're an audio the... listener, you're missing the fuck out, dude. This is just your oh, game man. up. Colin is blowing everyone's mind right now. This is also just a case because I got the case <laughs> for like $6 thinking I would get the cartridge cheap. I have not gotten the cartridge cheap yet. Uh, there's a listing for 80 and 65 on eBay. Doesn't seem too bad. Yeah. I have another Shantae art book. It's for Half Genie Hero. Colin, nice. have you ever gone this hard for a franchise before? No. In terms of memorabilia and stuff? Nope. That's I don't care. That's crazy, dude. I own, I own like six total plushes and all of them were acquired for free or from my childhood. Mm. But then I bought this plush as a 28-year-old <laughs> adult male. I bought this plush. And then 
Guys, they made a Roddy Tops plush. And you know what I did? <laughs> <laughs> What'd you I, do, Colin? I bought the Roddy Tops plush. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's right, <laughs> yeah, you, you did. did. Don't tell me you don't have oh, it on hand. God. Where is it? Oh, okay, I know Perfect. this is also a... It hasn't come yet. It's a, It was through limited run uh, games. So I bought I it four months ago and it has not shipped yet. Yep, that's about right. Hold on, there's one other piece of Shantae I need to grab. One sec. <laughs> In the meantime, I'm going to look up Roddy Top. Yeah, who was that On again? Google. How do you even spell that? R-O-T-T-Y? Well, I, 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 I googled something not right. Okay, it is R-O-T-T-Y-T-O-P-S. Oh, Roddy, Roddy Top. Like rotten. I, I, I used... can't really explain the name Roddy Top. But oh, she's the zombie is. one. Right. No, she cute, though. Shantae trading cards! Wow. Oh my, oh my god, god, Colin. <laughs> Shantae trading cards. You have the so they're different art styles. So they're it's the Game Boy Color. They're listed by game. Um, that's Roddy Tops in the middle there. Mm. And then that's like the Game Boy Color art. I'm seeing some saucy fucking pictures of Roddy Top right now on Google. I'm gonna stop this. <laughs> wall on wall Shantae, on cam. Shantae fans. <laughs> <laughs> Very horny. Johnny's eyes just glaze over. He's not paying attention. <laughs> you know, John, it's it's in service of the game, though. You know, it's not like fan Correct. service. It's in service of the Shantae lore and story That's that they're right. putting together. Yeah, yeah. This game is Man. horny as hell, but it's it's thematically relevant. It's all very important. Yes. I want to look... I mean, when you were describing all the characters, Bolo lit me up the most. I got to see what this help me looks like. Bolo's kind of lame. He's kind of lame, but he's horny for... Oh, wait. Yeah, he is kind of lame. Look up Risky Boots. <laughs> risky Boots? Risky Boots. Yo, she's so fucking hot. She's so fucking <laughs> what hot. What the hell? Bolo is so horned up for... Can we uh, can we stop this podcast already? What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> yep, we're done. <laughs> yep, we're done. Bye, guys. Um, Man, these characters are hot as fuck. Does that at all go into your love for this game, Colin? No, and I, <laughs> I'm not upset by it. So we're 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 tossing jokes. The games are, are largely not horny. So when they redid, Bruh, Pirates, I oddly believe you. I oddly believe you. I do you not. Though. They're all in bikini <laughs> tops. They're all in bikini tops. They're all bouncing around constantly. You can't so, tell me this so, game is not horny. No, I'm saying largely. They absolutely. <laughs> betray themselves occasionally keaton in the seven sirens uh sky the girlfriend just lays and sunbathes in a bikini the entire game and and halfway through the series they um there's yeah. no voice acting so mm. they do like you know your your portrait when they redid mm. pirate's curse they made them the most obnoxiously busty portraits for some reason naturally uh, but Naturally. that's like that's not what the original game was, and um, yeah. by by the fourth game they start making fan service fourth wall jokes uh, about themselves. Appreciated, so they know what they're doing. Yeah, Largely I mean, not I, horny, gets gets very horny sometimes. That's the honest thing. Well, I mean, like honestly, honestly, you know, making character models in general, just like in art, in video games, whatever, is difficult as fuck because you want them to be attractive. You want them to be attractive, but you don't want to necessarily make them horny. That's an impossible balance, especially when you're dealing with a half-genie 
who's going to wear Skippy clothing naturally because she's, she's a genie. She's a belly dancer. That is she's how a she, belly dancer. That is how That's she how transforms. <laughs> That's how she transforms. They're written into I a corner from cat. the beginning. So <laughs> mm-hmm. it was designed by a woman, so that gives them the clear, right? Oh yeah, it's all good though. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, let's we end can, this podcast so I can, can no forget conti- it. <laughs> continue looting this character to infinity. It's all good. Um, I feel, I feel like, I feel like we're losing sight of the plot, Colin. I don't. Long want, time I don't ago, buddy. Shantae's the fucking best. Let's <laughs> go. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say about Shantae? Because, like, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sold on it. Um, that's not horny at all. Look at those heaving bosoms. <laughs> Nothing horny about that. That's the last game. They lost the thread by then. Audio listeners, you're missing out. I swear <laughs> to God. Um. And- Man, oh man. Wait, he's cute as fuck. That's fucking Squid Baron, the best character in the game. That's, That's Squid, Squid Baron, dude. <laughs> That's Squid Baron. The little bottom tooth, dude. The little bottom oh, tooth man. is 10 out of 10. Holy shit, man. That's cute. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. I see my um, Shantae time. We may proceed with the end of the podcast. Um. Well, thank you for, for the truly impassioned Shantae representation here. Um, Shantae, go play it. Go. What are you doing right now? Go play it. If you're listening to this, stop listening. And, no, listen for like three or four minutes longer and then go play Shantae. Um, so that brings us to uh, the end of the discussion at least. But like what we're going to do now is we're going to go through Happy Midnight's mantle of happy masterpieces. A pantheon, Brandon. if you will. Yeah, so like what we're going to do moving forward is like the games that we're bringing to the table, the games that we're playing, we're going to make a special little space. We're going to make a special little canon for the games that we think are fucking masterful. Games that deserve a specific type of recognition that we can point to and say, hey, play this. This, if you're looking for something to play, this is going to bring you joy, bar none. So, you know, we brought a couple of games to the table today. Um, Why don't we go in discussion order? Keaton. Does Moonlighter deserve to be in Happy Midnight's mantle of happy masterpieces? Uh, hmm. I gave it a soft recommend. Um, I I feel like that has to be no. Um, it just didn't quite deliver on its promise enough um, for me to, uh, to say yes. <clears throat> um, and I don't think I'll ever replay it. There's a new game plus that was added later. There's post-game content. Not really interested in any of it, honestly. Um, I'm gonna have to pass. Johnny, does Haunting Ground deserve to be in Happy Midnight's mantle of happy masterpieces? No, I don't okay. think it does. No, I don't think it does. Interesting. Um, I I think it's an incredibly special game. I think it's incredibly memorable. Um, but you love your flawed it, horror games, White Day as well. I love my flawed horror games for sure. Um, but like, if I'm gonna frame something over my fireplace in my house when I eventually buy one when I'm 47 or whatever, um, Haunting Grand <laughs> Haunting Ground probably won't be there. You know, like I'm so happy I played it. I think it's super special. And those who know know. Um, but it's not something that I can like hand out pamphlets for like on a street corner and say like you have mm. to play this game. It's transformative. It's you know it changed my life. It gave me like a week of enjoyment where like you know I, I think I played it in four different set um, four different sessions. Check it out on the YouTube channel. The entire playthroughs there. Um, but yeah, and I thought about it for like days thereafter. But I I 
don't think that it's magic. I think it's special. I don't think it's magic. Um, so again, you know, similar to Moonlighter, Haunting Ground gets a soft recommend to all gamers. It gets a hard recommend to all horror gamers. Um, but I don't think it deserves a place in Happy Midnight's mantle of happy masterpieces. Um, Colin. It's a high bar for this honor. Does Shantae, and I'm not going to let you slide with a franchise, but is there a, a Shantae title that belongs in Happy Midnight's mantle of happy masterpieces? Nah. Just kidding. Then, we will dance through the danger <laughs> until the world is safe. Can't stop me now because I'm Shantae. You guys can't stop me. We talked about this beforehand, the criteria. There's no voting system. I am putting Shantae, the Game Boy Color, the very first one, into the mantle of honor. As I said, it's maybe not the absolute best playing one in the series, but it is the most impressive. It gave me the most vibes. It has the best soundtrack. And I was in heaven the entire time I was playing this game. The pants were charmed right off of me. Shantae. And that would you say? Happy Midnight Mantle of Happy Masterpieces? I think so. We'll work on the brand. <laughs> there's we'll a lot of the alliteration in there. I appreciated it, though. Yeah, there's shit there. Um, so uh, the first inductee into Happy Midnight's Mantle of Happy Masterpieces. Shantae for the Game Boy Color. It's Fucking beautiful. Congrats, Shantae. Oh, Put yeah. it yeah yeah congrats dude clap it out everyone go play that fucking game um beautiful boys well thanks for chatting this was so much freaking fun and hey we're going to do it again very very soon thank you to everybody out there listening and have thank a you, fucking happy you. midnight you motherfuckers happy Let's midnight go happy midnight y'all peace